Welcome back to Monthly Cardoso, Episode 4, the 1987 Survivor Series. Some would say the biggest event since WrestleMania 3. Supposedly that was the tagline for this show, according to Wikipedia, but enough of me, guys. Take it over, Mike Yeller and the rest of the gang. North-South Connection. What is going on, everybody? Mike Eller here with another edition of Cronoso Monthly, where we're taking a look, comprehensive look at every big WWE pay-per-view and every big WWE show, uh, which in the 1980s, our other big shows we're looking at are the wonderful Saturday night main events. So uh, tonight, though, we are going to be taking a look at a really important pay-per-view that I'm really excited for all of you to be able to listen to, to listen about. Uh, we're going to have some really great reviewers going over some great matches from the very first Survivor Series 1987 from my neck of the woods, the Richfield Coliseum in uh, Richfield, Ohio, about 20 minutes south of where I'm at in Cleveland. And uh, yeah, so obviously this is the first survive. This is the first Survivor Series to take place at the Richfield Coliseum because it's the you know, first Survivor Series. Uh, but we'll see a couple more occur at this uh, arena in the next couple of years, and we um, we'll get into a little bit more about Richfield, uh, the the arena or Coliseum itself. But first, why don't we take a look at what's going on with the championship scene in the WWF? So, uh, the main guy, Hulk Hogan, the Hulkster, he is still your WWF champion. Uh, nothing's changing there. The Intercontinental Champion, we still have the Honky Tonk Man. He uh, is still doing his Honky Tonk Man finishes, his DQ finishes. He's still uh, the second guy. He's still the, the worker's title uh, from a guy who's not really a worker, right? <laughs> uh Sherry, sensational Sherry. She is still your WWF Women's Champion. Um, been going strong since earlier in the year. And uh, we have the Heart... Wait, no, we don't have the Heart Foundation. We don't have the Heart Foundation as WWF Tag Team Champions anymore because we have new Tag Team Champions. And that would be the team of Strike Force, which consists of Tito Santana and Rick Martel, as well as their awesome theme song. Um, and their trunks that Tito Santana would wear uh, years after Strike Force broke up. So uh, we have new champions. They're, you know, fiery baby faces uh, heading into this show. Obviously, no team, you know, no tag teams ch changes are going to happen because these are all multi-man matches that are going to happen at their Survivor Series, but a uh, fun little title change that happened on the October 27th, 1987 edition of Superstars. And when we last left you, it was in the beginning of October uh, for Saturday night's main event. So pretty cool. You know, we're not even two months past and we already had a, you know, we had a title change, which, you know, obviously you're not going to see that often. So uh, now that we have the champions covered, let's go again into the Richfield Coliseum a little bit. Uh, it opened in 1974. It closed in 1994. Um, so only 20 years. I, I, like, how crazy is that? Like, you think of, you know, the Staples Center in L.A. or Crypto.com or whatever it's called now. Uh, that opened in 1999. So imagine that closing like three years ago um, after 20 years. Uh, but it was 
built again 20 miles south of Cleveland, and it it just didn't make any. I don't know why they built something there. It, like it's off of a two lane highway. Uh, it it just was a really bad spot. I guess I'm sure cheaper taxes or something like that or whatever was going on in 1974, but. Yeah, you don't see stadiums only get demol- get demolished after 20 years, but uh, this, yeah, they, they built the Gundarina. It, it opened in 1994. That's where it's gotten, it's gotten a couple different names since then, but that's where they've been for the nearly 30 years. Uh, yeah, so there's nothing there now building-wise. It's part of Cuyahoga Valley National Park, which uh, if you're ever in the Cleveland area, Cuyahoga Valley National Park is really a good, time to, good way to spend time. Uh, just some... A little more bits and pieces about this team, uh, the the arena. It was the host of the Cavs, like I said, from 1974 to 1994. It was the home of the Cleveland Crusaders hockey team from the World Hockey Association uh, from 1974 to 1976. And then it was also uh, host to an NHL team, uh, the second iteration of the Cleveland Barons, from 1976 to 1978 before they merged with the existing Minnesota North Stars. Uh, So, yeah, I guess Cleveland's not too much of a professional hockey town because they had two teams fold in two years or four years. So um, moving on, uh, let's head back to what's going on uh, with the Coliseum in terms of the WWF. The last time they were actually here was only a couple months ago in August of 87. Um, the big match, I guess like the biggest match of the show would have been the honky tonk man retaining the IC title against Randy Savage. Uh, it was a DQ finish, a honky tonk finish. Uh, so honky tonk, obviously state champion, just a little fun match. I found, I thought it was kind of cool. Uh, Jose Estrada defeated Chavo Guerrero senior, uh, or if you're Vince McMahon, Chavo classic, uh, in a match, so that's kind of like a little, uh, you know, just ran, two random guys that were wrestling at that time. The last big show that we had here was uh, Saturday night's main event from that filmed in September of 86, aired in October of 86. The big match there was Hulk Hogan retaining the WWF title against Paul Orndorff. Uh, It was a DQ finish there, but that opened the show, and that was obviously, you know, the huge match of the show. So uh, I hope you enjoyed listening about the arena landscape and everything going on in in Cleveland, uh, not even really Cleveland, but the greater Cleveland area, and learning what's going on in the WWF in the, you know, as we head into the fall, into the winter of 1987. I know you're going to enjoy the great show that we have for you now. Uh, we're going to start with the first match here. And, uh, as you know, our commentators now are, for tonight's show are Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse Ventura. So we'll listen away. We'll talk to you soon and uh, get ready for it. All right, everyone at Cronoso Monthly, here we go. It's Johnny C back in the saddle again, and I have the very enviable task of preparing all of you for the opening contest at the very first Survivor Series. Now, you would have heard all about where we are, so I won't waste any time. We open with a beautiful shot of the very full Richfield Coliseum. 
in Richfield, Ohio. Now, just a side note from old Johnny C here. These early Survivor Series always made me smile because they were held in my home state of Ohio. And, you know, Ohio, not really a uh, burgeoning metropoli of activity, although it's a very important state every four years when that election comes around. But don't remind me of these such things, because I just thought it was cool to have Ohio get a little representation. The Fink welcomes our host for the evening, Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse the Body Ventura. There's a great pop when the crowd realizes we're about to get started, but then they boo quickly as they see Jesse the Body Ventura, clearly not, uh, you know, loving him as much as all of us do. He is a heel. But damn it, that's what makes him so cool. Gorilla's dressed normally. Well, as normally as he can be. Jesse, however, is dressed like a Floridian pilgrim. Uh, a pilgrim covered in snakeskin, that is. Of course, Jesse wearing his patented pay-per-view t-shirt as he's sporting the original Survivor Series tee under the pilgrim-based presentation. I love it! Jesse's the only one that can pull this look off. Tommy Dreamer, try as he may, fails. We see a woman in the crowd. I mention it only because of her glasses and hair configuration. She's a mix of my maternal grandmother, God rest her soul, and the sensational Queen Sherry. Uh, what are you doing, Jess? Well, I'm having a good time on Turkey Day, Gorilla, even here in Cleveland. Well, suburban Cleveland, that is. Mock Cleveland. Oh, you want Jesse the Body Ventura. But we all know how history would go. We know that the very next year, the Cleveland Guardians would go on to win the pennant. Boosted by the leadership of manager Lou Brown, the wisdom of veteran catcher Jake Taylor, the speed of Willie Mays Hayes, the burgeoning bat of Pedro Serrano, the spirituality of starting pitcher Harris, the financial and real estate wisdom of shortstop Roger Dorn, and hey, Mrs. Dorn helped too, as she was the one to tame the wild thing, relief pitcher, pitcher Rick Vaughn. And don't forget, Cleveland would also go on to uh, become New York City in 2012. I bet y'all didn't know that when uh, Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans, Scarlett Johansson, Chris Hemsworth, Mark Ruffalo, and the other guy... Uh, united to take down the Chitari and protect New York City in the hit 2012 film, Marvel's The Avengers. What they were actually rescuing was Cleveland, Ohio, as Cleveland was a stand-in for New York City. I suppose you could say that Cleveland rocks. Gorilla and Jesse welcome us. They know that we, that being the audience, are full of cranberry sauce and pumpkin pie. But relax, because for the next three hours, you will be royally entertained by the superstars of the World Wrestling Federation. Vince clearly writing the copy for Gorilla to read. We cut to our opening video. It's very 80s. But I still love it, and it ends with the stare down from WrestleMania 3 of Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan. Back in the arena, our announcing boys explain the rules of the Survivor Series. It is the very first. We get the five ways of elimination, including a graphic that spells it all out for us. Wait a minute, five ways? What are these five ways, you might ask? Well, it's not a Cincinnati-based chili configuration featuring... Uh, spaghetti, chili, onions, beans, and cheese. That's a five-way in my book. But these five ways are pinfall, submission, count-out, disqualification, and the referee's discretion based on injury. Okay, 
I guess that's fair. Now, I won't spoil the actual match configurations, but Gorilla and Jesse do cat talk about the four big matches here, and I love that each match is basically a representation of a different division of the WWF at the time. A tag team match, a women's match, a main event level match, and our opener, which is the mid-card match, which is what I'm here to introduce. Intercontinental Champion, the Honky Tonk Man, leads a team against former that's captained by former champion Macho Man Randy Savage. Now, the Honky Tonk Man would have defeated Ricky the Dragon Steamboat to claim the Intercontinental Championship. We all know that this came about because Ricky the Dragon Steamboat made the insane uh, ask for paternity leave. How dare he, I suppose. And, of course, the Honky Tonk Man would later assault the Macho Man with a guitar and push... Push! Push the lovely Miss Elizabeth to the ground! The bastard. Gorilla and Jesse toss us to Greg the George, star of the greatest videotape produced by the WWF in the history of mankind, Hulkamania 3. You know, Hulkamania 3, where Greg the George and Hulk Hogan sit on a boat and they talk about the giant betrayal, and you see the entire Andre the Giant story unfold before your eyes, and Greg the George with his always sore throat's like, oh, Gogan, we're on this boat, and it's rocking back and forth. Were you betrayed by Andre the Giant? Let me tell you, Greg the George, dude, this boat is rocking back and forth, and tell you, frankly, I'm a little fearful that I'm going to fall in and get pinned by these waves, dude, but I got to tell you, Greg the George, you need a lozenge, brother. I mean, we've been filming Hulkamania 3, The Giant Betrayal, nearly all day, Greg the George, dude. And I haven't heard you clear your throat once, but yet, here you are with this, uh, oh, Greg the George. Uh, Greg the George, dude, what's wrong with your voice? Now, Greg the George has uh, the heel contingent. Honky Tonk Man, Outlaw, Ron Bass, the mightiest of Hercules, referee, dangerous Danny Davis, and the King Harley Race. Honky Tonk Man says they're the greatest team ever assembled. Well... It's not really a fair comparison. They have the advantage, being the first team ever to be on the Survivor Series broadcast of all time. But I guess then you can safely say you're the best until, you know, the next team. We see footage of Savage eating the guitar and the push heard round the world. All of the heels, including the managers, are pulsating behind the honky-tonk man. It's like they all did massive lines of cocaine, allegedly. Honky-tonk man tells Liz not to step in the ring lest she face the shake, rattle, and roll. Honky-tonk man beckons the heels forward, and they enter the arena. Now, the honky-tonk man's subordinates, or lieutenants, all enter together first to Harley Race's theme, Pictures at an Exhibition later to be used by Jerry the King Lawler. I should note that before anybody comes to the ring, uh, they do the thing where they ring the bell indicating it's time to get started, and the crowd pops huge! Huge! Seriously, Seth Franklin Rollins would kill to get the pop that this bell ring gets, okay? Harley's out first. He is the king of the World Wrestling Federation, but to my eye, he's more likely to be crowned king of the Waffle House based on his appearance. Uh, he recently got his crown back from Hacksaw Jim Duggan, who, of course, is on the opposing team. Next out, Hercules and his patented chain. He gets a frosty reception from Cleveland. Next is outlaw Ron Bass. Sure, the camera is on dangerous Danny Davis. Uh, 
But, you know, it's the opening of the very first Survivor Series, so we're all a little nervous, and then I'll give you that little production snafu. Danny is announced next, and finally, the team captain. The glorious music beckons him. And even though this man is marvelous, don't mistake this man for his inspiration, Captain Marvel Jr. But somebody yells, Shazam! And out comes the reigning, defending, intercontinental champion, the Elvis-based Honky Tonk Man. But let's head to the back for Mean Gene Okerlin. Mean Gene is in the back with perhaps the greatest assembly of mid-card talent ever. Hexall Jim Duggan, Brutus the Barber's Beefcake, Jake the Snake Roberts, and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. It's a who's who of 80s Federation combat. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat appears to either be experiencing labor pains or he's trying to form a Hadouken fireball as he's yelling and making strange hand movements. Hexall Jim Duggan is stroking his patented 2x4. Brutus's eyes are wide, as if he's lost. Jake the Snake Roberts appears to be embarrassed, surrounded by these three bozos. Ricky tells the Honky Tonk, or the Honky Tonk Man, well, he tells Gene to tell the Honky Tonk Man that we are all survivors! We see footage of the King striking Hacksaw Jim Duggan with a 2x4. The Macho Man and Liz finally arrive in frame. Oh yeah, I remember you, Honky Tonk Man. You pushed Elizabeth down real hard. You hurt her. You embarrassed her. Yeah! It's a bad day for you. In the danger zone. Yeah! Elizabeth! And the faces all walk away criminally. Jake the Snake Roberts says nothing. The faces emerge to a shitty dub of that song, Serious. You know, the song the Bulls came out to? Here, I'll strike your memory. It's Richard, the Dragon Steamboat, followed by Brutus the Barber Beefcake, then Jake the Snake Roberts, and bringing up the rear, as always, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Finally, the Macho Man and Miss Elizabeth emerge to pomp and circumstance. They look great, especially Miss Elizabeth. They get an amazing ovation. The ring is full of humanity, and it looks like it's time for these teams of five to strive to survive. That's going to wrap it up for me, Johnny C. I hope you enjoy the actual athletic-based wrestling contest that is to follow. Don't forget, every other month, myself myself, and my co-host, Keithy Langston, host the Multiverse of Fabulousness. fabulousness. I just learned English. Uh, here on the North-South Connection Podcast Network. Uh, fuck March Madness. Your bracket's busted. Don't worry. In March, we covered March Fabulousness and worked our way through a 32-person tournament of some of the most obscure characters in wrestling history. Check it out in podcast or in video form on YouTube where there's a sweet slideshow presentation along with it. And check out my personal-based podcast feed, The New TNN, where I talk about wrestling and movies. I'm Johnny C! And a winner is you. Hello and welcome to Cronoso Monthly, and I'm Ryan Everett along with my buddy Keith, and we are going to be going down the memory of the very first Survivor Series match.
Yes, sir. Survivor Series 87. What a beaut. <laughs> I mean, we got Brutus Beefcake, Jake Roberts, Jim Duggan, Randy Savage, and Ricky Steamboat going up against the dangerous Danny Davis, Harley Race, Hercules, the Honky Tonk Man, and Ron Bass. So this yeah. is going to be, this is set to be a gem, I think, right? Yeah. And I was actually thinking about it. Uh, everyone on Randy Savage's team, he would fight in a pay-per-view <laughs> match at some point. So I know, right? I always, you know, this is a year after he tried to kill Ricky Steamboat, and they're <laughs> they're fine doing tag team moves together. Exactly. I mean, I think it. Th- well, I mean, even when he was when he was Intercontinental Champion, I think he fought Jake Roberts at least. I know he fought Jake Roberts, Ricky Steamboat. I mean. I don't know if he had. I don't know if he ever fought Duggan or Beefcake while he was the champ, but yeah, he would go on to fight them yeah, <laughs> several times yeah, I don't later think on. He had fought them yet, but yeah, he definitely <laughs> they crossed paths with some of these guys and would later. <laughs> yeah, Savage's '87 is very bizarre. <laughs> he like he loses the he loses the title, then he becomes like a face like. And then it's just like, okay, now I guess we're going to just forget about how dastardly of a person he yeah. was for the last two years. Well, now he's he's holding the ropes open for Elizabeth now, so it's okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, now he's a good guy, so. And it is like he is immediately becomes the number two baby face with like oh. – Absolutely. The mega powers and stuff. He is a, th- a thousand percent. I mean, he is. He's. I mean, I. I recently. I recently was doing. Uh, just on GFA Live, we were doing kind of the run through of Survivor Series '88, and uh, it's just amazing how how over he is. Because we've been watching like we watched the television up to the match and everything up okay. to the pay per view. So, and I mean, he is just. He's over. I think. I, I would dare to say almost as much as Hogan, if not. Yeah, just under Hogan. I mean, levels, which and then that always leads me to think that he should have just kept the title at 89 and they should have turned Hogan heel. (laughs) That's what I always think. Lust Hogan. Yeah, of course. He had lust in his eyes. Um, This is this is a great this is a great team. These are two great teams. I like the first. Actually, I liked all the Survivor Series up until really they stopped having the teams where the teams made sense, I guess. Um. And they just started like, you know, I gave you like 94, 95, and they started just like crowbarring teams in. Yeah, but got everyone onto the card. Yeah. Yeah, but I did love been feuding I, at all. Right. And I did I did love the early years though, because I think the early years were always were always good, you know, with the teams and how they had them set up and Yeah. That's why, I mean, this is basically the mid-card star match, basically. Yeah, and it's a hell of a banger for an for an opener, too. I mean, it's, I mean, it's got, you got everything that you want in it, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, they did that, too, the following year. Like, the opener was, actually, Beefcake was in the opener of the following year, too. <laughs> yeah, with Warrior, right? Yeah. Yeah, so was Honky. <laughs> yeah. And Ron Bass. <laughs> Danny Davis, I think he was still. Yeah, Danny Davis, I think was on that too. Yeah, they didn't really think their strategy too well, all too well. If they got basically the same team the next year. Yeah, it's it is it's very fresh in my mind because, uh, like I said, I just did it, and I mean the 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 honky tonk team was. Yeah, it's honky tonk man, Ron Bass, Danny Davis, and then he replaces. He has Valentine and Bad News Brown. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> so, and then and then Beefcake's in there with uh, Warrior, Houston, Blazer, and Brunzel. So Beefcake's oh, yeah. got a whole Brunzel different team. Survivor yeah. T-shirt. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is this is like this is like they got some good hot feuds too, like Duggan, Duggan, Duggan and um, Duggan and Race. Yeah. From the Slammies. Basically everyone against Honky Tonk, man. I mean. Mm-hmm. But it's funny that, I mean, Beefcake, is Beef, Beefcake's not mixed up with Ron Bass yet. No, so, no, that, that's the thing. That doesn't start till like, the next year. Yeah. That's kind of odd that they're already in there. The beefer. Yeah, because, I mean, I was thinking about, Ron Bass really didn't do much, like, for the first year. He no. Was, until eventually got in the feud with. Yeah. Beef. But for a while, he's just kind of, you know plug and play heel number four or whatever <laughs> right plug and play heel uh yeah because i mean well i think at this let's see so everybody on the face side hates honky tonk man right and that's that's probably it right and then race and duggan i think had already they were yeah race race and duggan was the two was the that was like the well-defined feud maybe and then i guess honky tonk man and and savage really but i mean yeah because jake Jake had his thing with Honky Tonk Man at WrestleMania. Right. And obviously Steamboat loses to Honky Tonk. It's amazing in 87 how friggin' like important Honky Tonk Man was. Yeah. Really... For a guy that two years later is irrelevant. <laughs> yeah, his relevancy left the second he got Gorilla. The second he lost that <laughs> The second that three that three count happened at, at SummerSlam eighty eight, he's done. But he drew the short star and had to wrestle Warrior on house shows for the remainder. <laughs> yeah, I felt so bad for that guy. I mean, that's one reason you put him in the Hall of Fame is he had to friggin' deal with the Warrior for yeah. an entire year. Team <laughs> Boat and Race in a match that would have probably sold out Charlotte in '83. I don't know about this version of Harley Race, but yeah, he's giving it a go still. Absolutely. I think it was it was. Having it, having race in there was cool. I mean, it it would have been nice to see him mix up a little bit more with Hogan, just because that's the marquee matchup. But right, I you know what? I watched, I was rewatching Rumble '89, and he has that match with Haku, and oh, that's just I a, love that match. That's a great match. Like that's just two big hosses going at it. Yeah. And so I mean, you know, it's Harley could do it. Headbutts. Yeah. Harley could still go. I mean, and then I remember when he left here. Remember he shows up back up in WCW in like 90? For like, you know, like <laughs> two or three months, and then he leaves until he comes back as the manager. Yeah, and it's just, <laughs> I love Steamboat skin and the cat hair. <laughs> yeah, both times. And then he just tosses over Harley Race. <laughs> like, I do, I do say Harley looks all fat here, though. Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, see, he's a bit uh, overweight. Harley- Harley's been eating too much of that, uh, you know, Kansas City barbecue, I think. Yeah. <laughs> or his girl would be talking about the, the pumpkin pie, the peanut butter pies, mm-hmm. all the different pies that you could have on Thanksgiving. Yep, peanut butter pie, pumpkin pie, poontang pie, I think. <laughs> um, yeah. Was that Harley Race? Boy, did he get fat. <laughs> but nice, Duggan. I love Duggan in the black tights. Yeah, he's still got I love Duggan. Those. Duggan in the black trunks is great. That's Mid-South Duggan. Yeah, he's still got a little bit of his Mid-South persona. He's not <laughs> as goofy. No. 
I guess what would it be like the the slammy brawl? Maybe he got is it brain knocked? Maybe, but I think so. Uh, all I, I, his eyes crossed. That's <laughs> yeah. It's when he it's when he had his eyes crossed. Yeah. Oh, look at the, the double count out. Uh, our first elimination in Survivor yeah. Series history. Yeah. That's right. Doug and race double count out. And a double count out. That's the that's a piece of trivia they should wheel out every year. Yeah. Especially since those two guys are like on good standings with the yeah they're both Harley Race is dead but I mean like right. Duggan's still on good standing like yeah. that'd be Harley a, Race hasn't upset them lately so yeah Harley Race hasn't upset anybody lately so big Ron Bass back in there yeah Ron Bass and and this and the Snake Man ooh Snake Man yeah Savage has got his like pink. Yeah, the pink. With, the, with the white with the white stars on it. Yeah, that's a classic look. I mean, Randy Savage, in my opinion, I've gone back and forth for years on like who I think the greatest of all time is, and right, I feel like it's I feel like if you're talking about television era wrestling, it's Savage. I think Savage is the guy who. He knew how to tell a story with it within five minutes, you know, yeah. and that was because yeah. that's what he got on all those Saturday night main events and stuff. And right. it's just, yeah, he had such a style down for that type mm-hmm. of man. And for the most part, I think with like the exception of maybe the George Steele uh, WrestleMania match, every match on pay-per-view the guy had was awesome. You yeah. Know? I mean, he uh, really yeah, I would say the George Steele match. And yeah, that's. About maybe, it. The, maybe the crush match. I mean, you're talking about bookending his two. Yeah, I mean, at least they had like a good feud into it and just it was just goofy stipulations. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think if they if they, I think if the two of them just had, you know, 15 minutes to go out there and just beat the hell out of each yeah, other, I think that would have been a much better match, you know, or just have it be a regular Texas death match where you have 60 yeah. seconds to get up or whatever. But the, yeah, yeah. In the ring and. Like he hits the one elbow, so he rolls him outside and gets a pin. He rolls <laughs> I know that was <laughs> so stupid. And then you got to get back into the ring. That was like the dumbest. That was a dumb stipulation. But I mean, you think about it. He had, you know, oh, the Heine from Beefcake. Yep. And then he got him. Maybe this wow. is what started Ron Bass's hatred of Beefcake. And eight months later, he would get him back finally. Yeah, and Beefcake going up against uh, Mega Power, Future Mega Power number three here, or uh, yeah, three because I always say F- Savage is the fourth Mega Power, or fifth, yeah, fifth depending on if you count Coco as a Mega Power, he's always <laughs> the last one. So, but this is, <laughs> I, we were watching when Hercules gets sold to Diviasi. It's the greatest. <laughs> it's the it's the greatest because it's like the whole time he's sitting there screaming about a slave and he has like Virgil standing next to him. And I'm just like, this does not play well on Definitely television. Counting his mon- the money. <laughs> yep. Uh, and then the best part about that is when Hercules snaps and Heenan like runs away with the briefcase. <laughs> So he's he's secure in that bag still. He knows what's important. He does. That's right. Bobby Heenan's the smartest manager of all time. He he sold Andre for, you know, millions, and then he bought him back for like thousands. I think. Yeah, I think they said <laughs> a million for a hundred thousand. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
just kind of working over beefcake here, trying to yep, wear yep. him down. Yep, just yep. a couple of elbows and doing the. I love the, the good old fashioned 1980s arm ringer. The Tito Santana special, I think. Oh yeah, he was big on that. Mm-hmm. Honky's got Memphis on his tights. <laughs> Beefcake's wearing the uh, those the that's like his last dream team outfit. Yeah, that's still dream team. Yeah, aerial there definitely. Yeah, his hair hasn't fully grown back yet from when. Yeah, he's still kind of. This is early still. Yeah, barber. That was a weird kick that Honky Tonk Man just did to Beefcake. <laughs> it was kind of a weird kick. Beefcake Baba. Mhm. The Baba Man. Now Beefcake Beefcake is a celebrity in my home because uh he used to he used to work for a uh very briefly he was selling windows for a New England window company called Newpro and uh my brother actually his roommate at the time was one of the salesmen for Newpro and Brutus Beefcake was at my old apartment where I used to live with my brother he had come over to play cards one night <laughs> Really Yeah and it was before I had moved in and I remember saying to my brother, are you kidding? You didn't call your wrestling-obsessed brother to come over and play cards with Brutus Beefcake? And my brother was like, yeah, I don't want you. He's like, I didn't want you over there bothering him. I was like, I would have just been, I would have been just bothered. Like, I would have been just constant questions about, like, his SummerSlam 89 main event. And... Yeah, definitely. <laughs> was this before or after he had his uh, anthrax here in the Boston <laughs> Something. This was a, this was before, so he okay. he was he was only a salesman for a little while, and it made total sense too because all those guys were uh, heavy into uh, the nose candy, if you will, <laughs> and so Beefcake fit right in, I'm sure. But I guess what he used to do is when he would go on his sales calls, you know, he was going as Ed Leslie, and he would have, um, you know, he would have his headshots from probably from like 8990 or whatever. Yeah. And he would and if somebody goes are you are you Brutus the Baba Beefcake? He would go, "I am." And then he'd be like, "Would you like an autograph?" And then he would crack out one of the freaking headshots and sign it. <laughs> so, but you know what? I bet you that was a probably a pretty good technique at least to get in the house. Yeah. I, I mean, don't know. I don't know how well he was selling. Those windows were kind of you know, I don't know if they were the best windows to buy. <laughs> they were definitely the most expensive, but yeah, and then he, and then I think once he stopped that, that's when he got the job at. Uh, but he was also he was managing a, he was I mean how you know I, I interestingly enough he was he was managing a uh, a world's gym, okay. and like and like Tuxbury Mass, and then and then I think he was working for the MBTA, and then that's when they thought he had anthrax, <laughs> anthrax like. It was just cocaine. Yeah, Yeah, and then I guess he moved back to Tampa and he's been running Hogan's uh yeah. <laughs> body shop ever since, I think, right? One way or the other. Well the cool thing is he shows up every now and then, like he does a lot of appearances with Valentine, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I've seen pictures like yeah. conventions and stuff, them signing together. That's pretty neat. Yeah. And then there's that famous picture of them, like, from a couple of years ago, like, in their house, just yeah. drinking beer and watching TV. <laughs> and I just, I love that idea. It's like, it's like they're the golden girls. You yeah. Know? Like, they're just, I, 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 and I hear that, um, and I know that, like, Axe and Smash are, like, really good friends. And uh, I think, 
I'm pretty sure Ming and the Barbarian are hanging around. I wish Barbarian and Warlord would still pal around. I don't know if they do that much, but, you know, it's nice when the old tag teams stay together yeah. like that. I know. I remember one of the King of Trios with Shikara, and they had the Powers of powers of Fear. And <laughs> powers was, of Fear. <laughs> it was Ming, Barbarian, and Warlord as a team. Well, Warlord did. He was doing – He I saw a – I saw one of those shoot interviews uh, that Hannibal TV does, right? And, and it was with Warlord, and he still looks like he could go. I mean, he looks old, but he still looks like in great shape. I'm, yeah, some of those guys. I mean, he was so huge. Just, I'm sure he was huge before steroids, and then the steroids made him yeah even bigger. So he was just had such a huge body. But he was talking about like how he never really did. I mean, I'm sure he did cocaine because everybody did, but I mean, I maybe not, you know. But he. But, you know, now that I think of it, he probably didn't because I don't think he ever was like he was never like out of control, you know, and I right. think it was just he was just blown up because he was, you know, probably just way too big. But um, I don't think any I don't think he does anything, you know, like I don't think he does anything bad. And I know like um, I saw Haku recently he was doing like a signing on it was uh, I forget this. It was like Wrestling Superstore or something like that. And they were doing like the online, you know, like the live signing and right. um. I paid for a picture for Haku. I was so excited. <laughs> and uh, he still looked like he can go out there and go. I mean, some of these guys, they still look like they can go out there. Yeah, I think, I mean, now, you know, they just, they stay in shape still. And, yeah. You know, not many, I mean, depending on who you're talking about, they're still like mid-60s, you know. They're yeah, not, the way I, well, the way I see it, Flair's still going out there. You know? Oh, geez, yeah. <laughs> he shouldn't be, but he is, no. you know. And I think if Hogan wasn't constantly having like hip surgeries, I think and back surgeries. He'd oh yeah, he well he's like every once in a while it's like Hulk Hogan rumors that he's been offered to wrestle at WrestleMania. It's like <laughs> probably he hasn't. <laughs> like I'm glad that he's got enough for, that he could hire someone to report that. I don't I don't think he can. That's the problem is I don't think I think if he could actually physically do something he would, but yeah. I don't think he can anymore. I mean, I don't think, yeah, the WWF wouldn't let him. No. Like, like just the same thing with Flair. Like, they wouldn't pass oh, any yeah. sort of, you know, physical test to be able to do it. Well, hearing Flair, like, passed out twice in that match. Yeah. That last match. I mean, that was, that's crazy. But Jake looking real fat here, too. What is it? Did everybody eat before they came out? Yeah, he's got the pouch going a little more than usual. And he's got these weird pants, like these weird purple tights. The purple on. pants, yeah. This is um, oh, what a beautiful DDT though to Davis. Yeah, Danny Davis lasted longer than I would have thought. He lasted longer than he did the following year. Yeah, he got the sleeper right, like a minute mm-hmm. in. Yeah, he's he's out in like yeah, he's like the first one out. They got rid of him real too sweet. Hercules was still kind of. Big here, but he was kind of just floating around, I think. Yeah, because he had finished up with like his Billy Jack Haynes thing, yeah. and he and didn't really. He was he was waiting to move on. The uh, Warrior, I guess, before WrestleMania, but that's yeah, not really heating up yet. Because he he, well, because he fights Hogan in what eighty six. Yeah, that's eighty five. Main event. He, yeah, that's yeah, 86. yeah, eighty five. So he's well off of that. But yeah, no, yeah, he wouldn't. He wouldn't even, I mean, Warrior's not even, Warrior's not even here yet, right? Yeah, I think he's just starting on, like, the yeah superstars and challenge. What, what was, what was Dan, what was, uh, 
Dave having to do one up on the ring apron there. I think things are. I think uh, Steamboat was trying to get in. Savage mm-hmm. is kind of running after him <laughs> mm. randomly. Oh, that's John Bonello, the referee. Yeah, angry ref. Yeah, the angry ref. Always looks very upset. It's a very odd situation going on. Steamboat's, Steamboat's getting pulled. His foot yeah. boot's getting pulled. Is that what was up at Jimmy Hot? Steamboat's like, or Savage just keeps running back and forth. Yeah. Bonky <laughs> getting a little upset. He can't put Jake mm-hmm. away. Nope. Yeah, he measured and missed with that fist right there. Fist drop. Oh, honky. Oh, Jesse giving a little lecture here. If he'd hooked the leg, he would have had the pin. Oh, yeah. You know, cardinal mistake. That's a cardinal mistake by a ring veteran, yes. Uh, Savage went up to the top rope. I think to maybe do a axe handle, and that would have been awesome if he dropped the axe handle. <laughs> Drops it down. During a rest hold. <laughs> now, this is weird. Steamboat, I like how Steamboat's back. Like, he leaves for what? A few months? They take yeah, the title he, away from him, and then he comes right back? He comes back in, like, August, September, I think. Because I know he, he has a match with Honky at the Garden, I want to say September. Yeah. And then after that, they're into the Savage feud. But that's so stupid. Like, he should have just... He really should have just, like, I don't know, called in sick. Yeah. Like, try, you know. I get, like, a week off, not, like, yeah. six weeks off. That you're not him, gonna telling, him telling him he wanted paternity leave, like, that wasn't yeah. going to happen. Yeah, in 1987. <laughs> Certainly didn't fly at regular businesses in 87. It wasn't going to fly for these carnies. <laughs> Especially when you're, I mean, when you're the IC champ, you're expected yeah. to be the you yeah, know, the headliner for all the B shows. Yeah, you're headlining the B shows. And I mean, thankfully they had they had a guy. I mean, I will say that about Honky Tonk Man is he did drive he definitely yeah. sold out house shows because everybody wanted to see him get killed. And it God, was that like, guy. He was a anyone, heat machine. Anyone could beat like it would be believable if it was like, you know, Tito Santana even at this point. You could be like, Yeah, he could beat Honky Tonk Man. Yes. That's what I liked about it is that he was a very, it was a very believable champion that could lose any minute. Yeah. He did a great, he did a great job of doing that. Yeah. And I know Jesse's already dropped the gem about him a few times that he's, he's more lucky than he is good, but sometimes it's better. (laughs) It's a nice extended rest hold segment that we have going on. You really... You could cut that out when there's other <laughs> guys still in the ring. I mean, I know you're working a guy down, but you don't have to do an extended chin lock, Hercules. Yeah. That was the great thing, though, about 80s, 80s wrestling is that they were always doing rest holds. Yeah. I mean, do you remember? Do you, I mean, do you remember going to like just shows, house shows and just the opening matches would go 14 minutes? And then it would end yeah. with like a quick and it'd be like a jobber versus maybe a jobber to the stars that yeah knew. The first match I ever saw live was uh, Brett versus the Barbarian, and it was April of '91, so it was right after the Heart Foundation split. 
Okay. And uh, they went a time limit draw of 15 minutes. And then it was the returning the following month. It was the return house show match. It was it was it was a no time limit. Oh, jeez. <laughs> there must be a winner. There must be a winner. But it was great, though, because, I mean, Brett and Barbarian, they actually they actually had a lot of great chemistry for, you know, just two completely different styles. But. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I liked I liked it. I was it was my first match ever. <laughs> it was a time limit draw between the hitman and the barbarian. <laughs> I know my first it was Tatanka. I want to say Skinner. Oh, yeah, I was. I love I, I, I love Skinner. I do. I love Steve. Kern. Yeah, I, I love everything Steve Kern does. I uh, very much remember 19 oh. or six year old me hearing the Skinner mm-hmm. music. Just the crickets and the mosquitoes yeah. and the fly. Yeah. Savage with a perfect elbow. God. Oh yeah. I loved his. I loved Randy Savage's elbow. When I was in when I was in junior high school, we used to have like half of the year we'd have gym and then the other half we'd have like swim class. Okay. And we used to have like in the high school like the the high school swim pool, which was you know it was like a not an it was a big it was an olympic swimming pool but it didn't have like the it didn't have like the high dive but it had like the olympic diving board and stuff we used to jump off of it and every time i would jump off i would do the savage elbow (laughs) (laughs) just into the deep end not into not into anybody just to jump off and i would just do the elbow i love that friggin' move nice Mm -hmm. honky tonk man one against three here now it's yeah now it's just everyone's gonna get their shots in on him (laughs) Everybody gets their shots. <laughs> I mean, there you yeah, are. Like, you, you come in, you get your five moves, and you tag out. That's... Mm-hmm. And this is like, yeah, again, the perfect guy that you want to see have the yeah. three-on-one disadvantage. Oh, yeah, yeah. And if I remember correctly, the, the ending of this match is perfect for oh yeah. Dark Man. <laughs> yeah. He goes for the sunset flip. Jake just hits him in the face. Yeah, he doesn't even like pretend like he's in danger of being taken over. No, there's none of that. This is just the total. Let's just bitch slap this guy around <laughs> for a few minutes. They are screaming. They're screaming for just beat the shit out of this guy, please. I love it. And here comes Macho. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you, Jesse? Jesse thinks it's wrong. Hey, <laughs> that time. This is the best segment. It's like a, it automatically turned into a comedy segment. This match. Yeah, it's just like they're gonna hit eight elbow drops out of that one. Yep. I think. Yeah, I think this is coming up the atomic drop. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the, the Honky Tonk Man has had enough. And Honky just went, fuck it. Leaving the ring. He's like, I'm out. Jimmy or Jimmy's already got the belt. Yeah, Jimmy's got the belt. He knew what was going on. They, they had that eye contact. That's great, though. Yeah, what a hell of an ending. Great. You know, it helps Honky's character. And it also, mm-hmm. it shows, like, the Survivor Series concept right off the bat. You know, yep. it could be three on one. It could be, you know, who knows what type of numbers you can get in this man. And then, yeah, I think you're probably your three biggest mid-card faces standing tall. Oh, yeah. I mean, Savage is almost, you could 
are you above midcard at this point, but he's getting there. He's getting there. But I feel like, I mean, unfortunately, I feel like you, you want to look at the next tier. It's the guys that are on Hogan's team at the end. Right. You know? Yeah. And those are the guys that are definitely that next level up. I mean, Bam Bam was Bam Bam was high up. I think Orndorff was high up. And then you got Morocco and Patera or like, you know, mainstays were in that were huge. They were in hot feuds, you know, Patera, Keenan yeah. and Morocco yeah. with, uh, was it? What, Butch Reed? Reed? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, but those are the guys that are the next level. But you're right. No, Savage, Savage, Robertson, Steamboat are your, your hot, hot mid-cod guys. So. Right. Nice. Yeah. All well, right. So that is it. I think we'll hand it off to hand the baton off to whoever has it next. But uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll see well, you next time. Yeah, Ryan, it was great talking to you, and uh, yeah. hopefully we'll do this again sometime. Yeah, definitely. Sounds good. All right, cool. Cronoso Monthly, welcome back to another match where me and Miss Jennifer Smith are going to run through and talk about what we thought about it. So, Jenny, how are you doing tonight? I am fantastic, and you really lobbied for us to get this match, and I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I mean, it, there's not too many sensational Sherry matches out there, and I know you're a huge fan, so uh, I had to do a, a little bit of politics and a little bit of lobbying, but uh, <laughs> I, I wore the two people in front of us down enough, uh, <laughs> and they were like, ah, yeah, I think you're right. I think we should probably give this one to him, so... Um, yeah, the match tonight is the uh, Team Fabulous Moolah versus Team Sensational Sherry. Team Moolah is uh, the Jumping Bomb Angels, Moolah, Rockin' Robin, and Velvet McIntyre. I'm not going to say the Jumping Bomb Angels individually because mm-hmm. I will destroy their names, so I'm not, gonna, <laughs> not even going to try that. Um, Don Marie, Donna Christianello, the Glamour Girls of Leilani Kai and Judy Martin, and Sensational Sherry make up Team Sherry, so... Mm. Yep. Uh, this was so interesting to me. Uh, never mm. seen this one before. And um, I'll just kind of run through what happens to the match and then um, kind of talk about it as we go. Um, Gorilla, as they're doing the introductions, says that Mula isn't 160 pounds. Uh, and I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> like, I mean, she's 160 years old, but <laughs> maybe not 160 pounds. <laughs> um, and then, uh, um, freaking his name just escaped. Oh, Jesse, Jesse, Jesse <laughs> uh, <laughs> talks, uh, his movie running man a little bit, getting his, getting his shit in. So that popped me as well. Um, but then we get right into the match. Um, Sherry starts hot, but she doesn't get a tag that she needs. So, um, Mula comes in to work her over. It's, it goes pretty quickly to a point so there are some eliminations pretty early Don Marie and Rockin' Robin tie up for a little bit a lot of quick tags but then Don Marie um, gets eliminated Sherry then eliminates Robin and in very quick succession um, in the in the beginning minutes of the match but towards the end as nobody gets eliminated the match stalls out a little bit in the middle it, it's it's funny because i actually really enjoyed watching it and mm-hmm. i thought that there was just so much energy in it and it had sort of that 
that sloppiness to it that I enjoy. It feels sort of like a real fight, especially, especially with Sherry in there as team leader, really, really working the apron and, and encouraging her team. Um, she loves to get the hot tag. She loves to get tagged in and work somebody over. So Sherry was my main focus in this match, but mm-hmm. she somebody, was too. <laughs> yeah, she was great. But somebody who also stood out to me is Velvet McIntyre. <laughs> but I really enjoyed her work in this. She was she she had this quickness and the speed to her. She seemed ring intelligent. She had she had just this sort of natural grace that I thought really stood out amongst, you know, like the Moolahs and the Glamour Girls, who I also enjoyed because they brought a lot of experience to the match and um, some sort of weight to it. And then you get the Jumping Bomb Angels. They get a really good sequence towards the end. But eventually Velvet does eliminate Sherry, which got a an audible boo from me because I did not <laughs> want her to be taken out. Um, Judy takes a, a, a sick double uh, underhook and, and then kicks out. Uh, so I thought that was really fun. Leilani uh, eliminates Velvet. And then the Glamour Girls are, are left in there with the Jumping Mom Angels. And um, eventually Judy Martin is the last one standing against them. Jimmy Hart gets up on the apron and takes <laughs> a fantastic bump. Just Beautiful absolutely. Bump. Just <laughs> It is one of the most gorgeous things I've ever seen. I watched it like three times. Mm-hmm. I don't know that he had a better bump ever than that. I don't, I mean. It, it's it's one of the top manager bumps of all time, for without a doubt. Uh, oh, my awesome. God. It it, it it really, it really took the, the match, which I was totally enjoying, just right up there um, to the next level <laughs> for me. Um, the Bomb Angels win uh, the match for their team. I would say it was about five minutes too long like i said that weird yeah. sort of repetitive in and out tags it wasn't boring but it just it got a little i don't know i just thought if they tightened up this match a little bit it really could be a really kind of classic i don't know it might be considered a classic i don't know I don't really hear a lot of people talk about <laughs> this match so um maybe this will get some more eyes on it and and uh some other people might uh see what i saw on this one what did you think yeah i mean i don't think it's an all-time classic or anything but it's also not talked about in a negative way so i think right. the fact uh, i mean i think it's really remembered for the bomb angels uh, kind of emergence onto this wwe scene they really only have one other match uh which it will be at the royal rumble uh, in uh, on the next year, so uh, maybe we'll be lucky enough to get that one as well. Um, but yeah, th- this was about the r- really about showcasing them uh, coming in from Japan. Um, but yeah, that that bump by Jimmy was awesome. It was like he was standing on the bottom rope mm-hmm. and he got decked, and his legs like ended up between <laughs> the middle and bottom rope, and he just kind of <laughs> hung there. It was amazing. It was um, great. <laughs> No way he could have ever planned to fucking fall like that. Oh no! I mean, it, it, it just ended. It, uh, it was perfect. It perfect. There was no other way to describe it. Um, but just to the beginning of the match, anytime Moolah's presented as a face, kind of like she was here, I can't help but laugh because she's such a <laughs> shitbag human being. Yeah. <laughs> um, Donna Christianella looked approximately eighty years old in this yeah. one. Yeah, uh, she looked very, very old. Uh, she was the first out. Um, Robin is in there early, kind of like you said, she gets the absolute crap kicked out of her 
but she actually does get an elimination on Don Marie. But I feel like all the other girls really, really had a vendetta against her or something mm-hmm. for some reason because they really just stiffened stiffened her pretty good. Um, the fact that Gorilla and Jesse were like so flabbergasted by how uh, impressive the Bomb Angels were mm-hmm. truly shows how innovative and kind of like truly above like in an in ring talent wise uh, they were above the rest of the girls in this match. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to the regular professional wrestler, professional wrestler commentator. So um, mm-hmm. Sherry pulls out a pretty sweet suplex at one point and that eliminates Robin. I think you mentioned that as well. Uh, the crowd actually boos Mula when she's getting offense. So I also love that. <laughs> um, <laughs> there was, there was a part where uh, Judy Martin and Mula were in the match. And I feel like uh, Judy Martin really wanted to take some frustration out mm-hmm. on Mula because mm-hmm. she really nails her with some good shots. And they, uh, the Glamour Girls actually help eliminate uh, Mula. So I was kind of surprised that uh, Mula actually took the fall. I figured she probably would have been one of the ones to survive just because mm-hmm. I feel like she's not one to really lay down for a lot of people. Um, but um, I love uh, I love throughout the match. The only way any girl could enter the ring is like that little ricochet off the top rope. Uh, they all <laughs> by their hair. They all come in the same way every time throughout That's true. the match because nobody just gets in the ring. Everybody is pulled in by their hair, and they do this. That's a great thing. touch. It really is. I it's love awesome. that detail. I really do love it. That's it's great. Um, <laughs> uh, Sherry hits a pile driver on Velvet at one point, but I don't think it was supposed to be a pile driver because uh, Velvet doesn't really sell it. Uh, but it looked like a pile driver to me, but it looked real, real nasty and like uh, Velvet kind of landed on her head. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was sick. Yeah, <laughs> um, and Kai, Kai comes in at one point and just starts chucking everybody by their hair, uh, no matter who it was. Um, Velvet throughout the match, I thought she was pretty much the MVP. Uh, for yes. the, like beginning and middle portions, uh, she kept eliminating people with a victory roll. So I guess that was her finishing move. <laughs> I love that they ended up catching up with her because Kai actually eliminates her as she's going for another one and hits an electric chair uh, to get her out of there. And then it, from there, it's the tag team match of the Glamour Girls versus. Um, the bomb angels and it was just a really hot finish the bomb angels hit some high, uh, high flying moves uh they take out each of them with the uh one with the cross body and one with the flying clothesline so yeah not the not an all-time classic by any means but the women were not presented in a way a lot of times at this point to have a match even as long as they actually mm-hmm. did so mm-hmm. uh, it's this like is a 20 big, minutes it's yeah this is long. a big this is a big spot for them mm-hmm. um and i think they rose to the occasion like you know there's a I think there's a women's match. Uh, there's definitely a women's match on the first WrestleMania. I think there's one on uh, the second one, but the second one only get second WrestleMania match only gets like maybe a couple of minutes, and it's uh, really bad. It's really mm-hmm. short. It's uh, Mac. It's actually Velvet McIntyre. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah, and it's it's pretty bad and very short. So, um, that this was a big uh, step up for them on that one. So. Uh, yeah, just uh, really enjoyed it. Um, I'd probably go somewhere between two and a half and three. Uh, I, I put two and yeah. a half down, but um, I, I could be convinced to go to three because I really enjoyed it as well. No, no, I would definitely do a three. And uh, my, my other note here was that I was surprised at how much Gorilla and Jesse stayed in this match. A lot of times male commentators will talk about anything except mm-hmm. for, <laughs> and even though there's 10 women fighting in front of them, mm-hmm. sometimes it's hard to keep them on track. And I thought they did a really good job um, at putting all the women over professionally. They, they did not 
comment on their bodies that much. They didn't comment on, they kept it exactly how they should for the most part outside of a few little comments. So I really appreciated that about the commentary. Yeah, and Jesse didn't make a bunch of off-color comments about right. all these ladies are all right. in the kitchen. What are they doing out here? Right, <laughs> yeah. I was kind of surprised and also very charmed by that. So I yeah, ended up really liking this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The commentary was great. Uh, uh, I think, obviously, uh, Gorilla has a great respect for him. And uh, mm-hmm. I think Jesse even did, too. Or maybe even if he didn't, he did a really good job of uh, at least playing like he did uh, throughout sure. this match. So, uh, yeah, commentary was definitely not what you would expect of uh, kind of this era of, of wrestling so i thought all around it was just a good package all right great job logan what you got to promote quick um the uh dangerous alliance pod seven months of danger uh we're kind of getting to the closing little bit of that we think we have about three recording sessions left so um that one's wrapping up we're building we, we just did super brawl so our next few episodes will be uh uh, us building towards a, a wrestle war where the big war games match that kind of closes the picture for uh, our whole podcast. Uh, but we're going to start building to that um, ruthlessly aggressive. I've been on this, uh, this month of uh, episodes building towards backlash 2003. Uh, one of those just came out earlier this week. So um, check those out. I love that show. I'll be sad when it goes. Yeah, me too. <laughs> As for me, you can find my shows here on Wednesdays. Um, they include, you heard about Pluto and the new GC Dub, which is a game-changing podcast featuring GCW, the awesome deathmatch promotion, and also a new podcast with you, Logan, and our friend, the Cowboy, and that is called Talking Docs, where we reviewed a cult documentary, and that is coming up very soon, so looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks for listening and enjoy the rest of the show. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs>
you know, the two groups, it's as basic as just, you know, heels and faces. But the thing that is appealing about this is that all these teams, either the newer ones, all have pretty distinct tag team identities, I would say. And so it gives you just kind of a, um, you know, a state of the union, I guess is the word I'm looking for, on like where the tag division here in late 87. So to run it down, we have the, um, we have our face team, which is going to be the British Bulldogs, the Young Stallions, the Killer Bees, Strike Force, and the Fabulous Rougeau Brothers. Another interesting thing about this is just how many of these teams, um, just to see where they go, because this is the, the core of your tag division moving forward through the rest of the 80s here, and just how many of these teams would kind of, you know, turn throughout this time, they would elevate, that sort of thing. So, uh, Strike Force is kind of new on the scene here. Uh, they had won the titles, I believe, not long before this, um, sort of surprisingly, but they kind of rose out of the ashes of the Can-Am connection as, uh, as Martell teamed up with Tito after Zink, uh, I guess, got into some shit with Vince and he kind of uh, bailed out. So they put Strike Force together, a team I've always loved. Uh, so Tito's kind of always just, he's there if you need him, uh, the ultimate team player. So he throw, you throw him in there. Um, you get the Young Stallions, which are sort of like two jobbers who are thrown together. We have Roman Powers, who are just sort of thrown together. Um, but again, they at least, you know, I wouldn't say it's the strongest uh, team dynamic, like as far as like their um, their gimmick, but they're just kind of like two good-looking dudes put together. And then so you, and then you have our other established teams, the Bulldogs, uh, the Bees, and the Rougeaus. The heel team, so we have here, um, we have the Bolsheviks, where Nikolai... Uh, needed to replace Iron Sheik, similar to Strike Force. Um, so let me mention our heel team. Our team of teams for the heels is going to be the Bolsheviks, our foundation, Demolition, the new Dream Team, which is Dino Bravo and Greg Valentine, and the Islanders. So we'll run down these. So we have, um, like I said, the Bolsheviks. Um, Iron Sheik, uh, Nikolai had to find a replacement. So we got Mr. Uh, Gigantic Head himself, Boris Zukov from the AWA. So he's here. So that forms sort of um, Nikolai's new you know, Russian heel team. We have um, the um, the Islanders form as uh, uh, formerly known as King Tonga. It's now going to be Haku. He hooked up with the Tonga kid, and now we have the Islanders. So, kind of going off of that, and uh, and probably the biggest thing, and I think maybe what you remember from this match, and it's not like they debuted here, but I think this is the beginning of them. They've been building throughout '87, but this is. Sort of, I don't know if this is a coming out party for them, but it it sort of become it's their pay per view debut. So you got that going, and that is Demolition, and so they would become you know some would argue maybe the biggest team ever in WWF. Um, some would argue the biggest team of the '80s, but either way, a huge force in this late '80s uh, golden age of tag teams is Demolition, who were recently formed. So you got Bill Eady and Barry Darso here. So this is kind of their first big pay per view spot. And so to me, that is really the build of all this, just seeing how all these teams formed and seeing them. And the appeal of the whole match is to see all these teams, see where you heal and face sort of um, the, the line in the sand is just to see all these teams together. To me, um, that's your build there. I mean, what more do you need? And they all have um, defined gimmicks, which I think is what drives this match. That's your build right there. It's just that that all these teams, even the newer ones, have established identities. You kind of know what each team is about. And then they're just all going to be thrown in the ring for this insane match where you have 20 guys hanging on the ring. Just a visual of that is insane. But with that, I'll pass it off to my um, 
my fellow Cronoso compatriots as they are going to cover this epic 30-plus uh, minute match on the next segment of Cronoso. If you want to hear me doing the Ruthless Aggressive Podcast, go ahead and check it out. But otherwise, uh, continuing here on Cronoso. Hey, North South Connection, Cronoso Monthly Video Edition Special. Your no holds barred compadres, JT and Aaron. What's up? That's right. Nothing, nothing. And we're helping out Ryan with this bit. And uh, I, I was always a big fan of the Cronoso project. I was mm-hmm. sad to see it go, but it's back. It's back. Back in the yeah. New York groove. Yeah. I kind of like this monthly version where we're still getting the original concept of. Um, every you know individuals doing each match right that's kind of how this yep. is born but it's kind of cool that you know instead of the daily hitting the feed you kind of just get that compressed into one show a month and exactly. what you're doing is it's been one concept of each one a month hitting the video feed so what ryan asked us to do since the survivor series 87 is less matches he tried to go creative he asked us to take the 10 teams that are in the 20 man tag team match survivor series 87 and rank them mm. Uh, he didn't give any other any other info or clues or hints as to what he was thinking with that. And I don't um, know what to do. And so we're going to do tier list format, which we've been yep. doing a lot of here. Uh, but he kind of left it open. So I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Should we be ranking these teams all time? Or should we rank them within their standing when this match occurred in November of 1987? Because that's the, this is the show we're talking about on, on this Cronoso this month is that this is the show. So I believe we should rank them like in the tiers to where they were on the card in November of 87 at that time. So like rank them as like the most important to least important or the, we can do work or whatever you want to do favorite to least favorite. We can talk about that, but I do think, you agree that we should do the I snapshot no, in time? I think no matter what, you shouldn't ask me what I want to do. Then give me your answer. Mm. Well, shut up. No, I agree. It's it's what we should do. I think we should do it. Uh, well, don't be don't be grumpy. Don't be grumpy. I listen, love it. Don't be grumpy. Listen, yeah. on a day where I got seventy five voice messages about a podcast, it went back mm-hmm. and forth. I, I don't want to hear more. Well, you should have done this about Ugh. planning the show. Do you understand me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does that get across to you clear enough? When you plan things, <laughs> let's just do this. Well, what do you want to do? No, I think it's good. I think I I think we kind of talked about it off air, but I think if we do rank it all time, it is too easy. It's just demolition. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're number right. one, clearly. Yeah. So I think there's probably something there's more debate in um there's more debate in in where they are then because some teams are on the decline, some are on the rise. And are we taking into account their performance in the match? No. I, I think we should just say going into the show, maybe like what where the standings were in the ranking at that time. I think the question to me is, what do you want to base that on? Do you want to base it on just skill as a tag team? Do you want to base it on push and standing? Do you want to base it on personal preference? Well, let's just do a mix of all three and figure it out. All right. Let's say me and you, me and you were tasked by the booking committee to create the order of elimination in this match based Mm. on how we want to book the match. How about that? Okay, and then we get to decide the winners. Wait, here's the problem. Here's the problem with that, is that one of the things I like about this match is that it's a um, it's weird. It's not it's not he would expect to win. Who wins? Well, let's do it that way. Let's book it that way. Let's tier rank 
who would go out? It's, it's like what team should go out okay. first? It's it's our recommendation to the booking committee of like, right? What team should go out first? What team should go out? You know, and and or, or how about this? A stack rank it on. They said, give me an order of like who should win to who should least win. Okay, because that could still include the the upsets if we want to get frisky. Right. Okay, let's do it. All right, here we go. Bring it up. I'm going to do just that. Very simple screen share. And I'm not even good at technology, and I can do it. So. No, I don't want that one. I want that one. There you go. Oh, there we are. All right, there it is. Ten teams. Yep. I even had a final these pictures. Oh, very nice. Very nice. An All integral right. part of any of... Uh, any of these tier lists is the picture hunting. Mm-hmm. Well, they even resized them for me. How nice. All okay, right. So let's, I'm yeah. going to throw something out there right away. Go. Right away. Nice, easy one. Put the new dream team last. Yes, I'm good. D okay. level bullshit. D tier. Uh, like, I don't know what, like, I get that, like, Beefcake had to move on to other things, but right. Dino Bravo is not the answer. No, never. He's never the answer. No. Never. No. Well, unless it's like who was murdered in their home in Laval, 30 kilometers from my house, then he's the answer. Agreed. And even then it's like, eh, maybe who cares? <laughs> who cares? <laughs> who cares? But I, 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 you, I, I remember like now when I think back on it, yeah. I'm kind of shocked that this team lasted this long. Yeah. They're, I mean, they're together. What do they break up? It's right after this, right? Pretty much. Yeah. But they have been to get us for WrestleMania three, so it's such a waste of Valentine for sure. Um, yeah, when's but that also, he does? Is it right after this where he joins Jimmy, and he's like, "I'm on my own finally" and all that. It's it's on like a prime time hidden somewhere, and it's really really good. He's like, you know, I'm finally back on my own, like I should be, and out of tag team shit or whatever. Because he'd been in a team since what? When did the Dream Team start? It was like early '85, right? Late uh, mid '85, I think. Because they weren't they weren't a tag team before Mania One, were they? No, I think so. it's it was a late '85. They're together, isn't it? Like Saturday's main event is like the spring. I think is when they first fight. Yeah, so I said mid '85, but right, I, I guess late '85. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, it's all good. Um, yeah, I think that makes sense about that period. Now, yeah. did, in the interim from WrestleMania three to this point, did Valentine feud with Beefcake? Um, because that's what happens after this. Well, he starts to feud with Adonis, but then Adonis kind of goes. Right. And then, yeah, I don't think he really does. Hmm. Because when is it like the honky? He's kind of almost into honky by Survivor Series. I just distinctly remember during this time uh, seeing Beefcake against Valentine on a Saturday Night's Main event. Right. It's the one where like uh, Valentine is with a belly-to-back suplex and Beefcake gets the shoulder up for the win. Yeah. Which confused the hell out of me as a kid. I'm like, what? What is happening here? Why isn't anybody getting their haircut? <laughs> All right. What team you want to do next? Uh, pick one at random. Let's talk about it. Uh, Bolsheviks. I mean, it's C or D. Like I, the only reason I would consider putting them C is because just due to the nature of the gimmick, they're pretty good at drawing heat. Right. They're just shit. <laughs> like, and I guess they're still kind of fresh at this point, right? Because we had 
Sheik and Volkov, when did Sheik get arrested with Duggan? That was like in the summer. It was like July or something. Summer 87, yeah. So I think that's around when Boris comes in. So they're only like five months in at this point. So, you know, if we're making a recommendation to teams to survive, if you want the heel team to win, like I think there's a case yeah. for the Bolsheviks to maybe be, maybe not sole survivors, but. Yeah, be with whoever's surviving. <laughs> right, right. Like, I, they're, I think they're probably the worst working team in the in the match. Right. Like, at least the Dream Team has Valentine. And I think Bravo, Bravo's not good, but he's, no. he's okay in this type of match where he can come in, do a couple things, and leave. Right. So, yeah, I think they're probably the worst working team. But, like, they're a great team to feed to a team like the Powers of Pain you know, that's coming in. Like, yeah. They have more value than the dream team does at this point, I feel. Yeah, well, and a lot of the value being crushed in the dream team is that Valentine is so valuable as a solo. Yeah. And it's like, so we're kind of wasting him in this role. He seems a little uninterested in the role. Yeah, I guess I just, I, I struggle kind of to see where Valentine fits in in the singles role during this era. I mean, I think it's similar to like a Tito. He's just a good... yeah quality guy to like put over other guys but it's like him and bravo and i mean we're looking at this tag division it's got 10 teams deep and i think it's still others like you could probably dig up from that time period um and more to come in 88 so it's like i think there's more value there to have him in the mid card helping put over if he does you to the beefcake or whoever type of guy yeah you know, steamboat helps savage as he's tr- transitioned to a face stuff like you know does at wrestlemania etc yeah so. maybe they're like a like Maybe they're like a um, kind of a victim of the tag division getting really hot. And Bravo but, just being dog shit. Yeah. But they knew he, they had to know he was dog shit by this point. Uh, I don't know. I feel like they never knew. <laughs> just keep putting him out there. All right. Let's do the Rougeau brothers. So their faces at this point, they haven't done a ton. I mean, they were part of the dream team shit at Mania, right? Yeah. Um. You know, we're a little bit away from the heel turn that starts yeah. in like early '88 around but WrestleMania. They're, but they're really good faces. They are. I feel. So let's let's just talk about all three teams at once right now. I think if Rougeau's bees and stallions are all kind of similar. I think Rougeau's are been pushed a little bit more. Yeah. Um, the bees have been pushed too. I mean, they've been around for a while now. I think stallions bee- a little bit newer, but I think the bees are the third of those teams. See, I was no- gonna say I think the stallions are. See, I feel like at this point, and especially with the win, <laughs> right? Um, I feel like the Stallions are at least on and up, whereas the Bees are on a down. Yeah. Like, I think the Bees, I don't even know if the Bees are better workers. Like, oh, I think so. I'd rather, I think, I think they're better than the Stallions. I think the Stallions are actually low key, really kind of fun and good. Yeah. But the Bees are good too. Like, it, but it's not just in ring work, right? Right. Like, Bees are finishing their run, Stallions are starting. So, do we factor that in? Mm. Yeah, yeah. So you want to put the B's in B? <laughs> no, no. Well, I think I think B's and the C's and the stallions and the B's and the birds, <laughs> the B's. Uh, I I mean I I think you could even go like stallions and Rougeau. Uh, no, stallions and B's in the C, and Rougeau and Rougeau's in the B. In the B. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe we're prepping the Rougeaus for the heel turn with a win here, kind of yeah. reestablish them. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, Islanders. That, or, you know, now that I'm looking at it, though, like <laughs> it feels like we're gonna not have any A's. <laughs> like, um, 
Well, I, Islanders. Let's talk about it. Let's see. I, Islanders could be an A. I think. Well, they um, had just turned heel a little yeah. bit. You know, earlier in '87, they were coming off the big feud with Strikeforce. Yeah. They're being set up for a big mania feud, but kidnapping Matilda, which I don't think had happened quite yet, had it? No, it was about to happen. Yeah. So, yeah, I think they're an A. I, I mean, yeah. you can see a world of them and the Bulldogs. Yeah. Or maybe and the I, last two teams. And there is no team when I look back that I enjoy watching more than the Islanders. They don't always deliver every time in the ring, but I really like their dynamic. I find them super fluid, super interesting, and legit. Like, they're the next, I mean, they're really the next, they're in the lineage of the, the Samoans, right? Right. Yep. It's so like, on that, good. I was going to say, it's like Wild Samoans, Islanders, Head Shrinkers. Yeah. Uh, three Minute Warning, Usos, right? Yeah, pretty much. Shields. <laughs> uh so i think i I think i'd put the bulldogs in a yeah um because they're they're also down the way on the way down greatly dynamite's back is a mess but again you could see a world of them and the islanders of the last two teams if you're going to set that feud up right if you want to end maybe the hearts in strike force get double count out and then you you end it with the islanders make the finals anyway in the current constitution um so maybe it's just the bulldogs in the other side so I think yeah. there's a world where you, you kind of close with them, maybe. I agree. I agree the Bulldogs are an A, but like verging towards B at this point. Right. All right, so now we got kind of the big three. Um, yeah. The hearts of the champions, right? No. No, Strike, Strike Force. They won in October. Yeah. Strike Strike Force, you got, I think you got to put an S yeah. because of the champions and because right. they're awesome. Yeah. Uh, to me, that's the easy one. I, so, I think the hearts go in the S. Yeah, I agree. Because that's your big title feud. And I would just say that I think maybe, maybe the demos are a B at this point. Yeah, because they still got Val. Do they still have Valiant in this match? Are they got Fuji? I think they have Fuji, but they're not them yet. No, but it's fast. I mean, Mania. Yep. it's not that far away. No, but it, I find that it happens really quick, and it's like, yeah. did they have the music yet? I don't think they had the music yet either. Mm, yeah, I'm not sure. But the yeah, thing is, this is a real tough timing because the hearts they're kind of passing ships with demolition right here yeah but i think the hearts are still up enough that this is a hot feud because strike force had just won the belts in october so i mean it's like right before this so i think if you're making a recommendation to the booking committee you could say you know strike force goes over again over the hearts to close this match out and stand strong Yeah, I just don't know. So, like, I don't know if at this point they see the money in, right. in demolition yet. Right. I think B's fine. Because I think your top two feuds right now, no, none of these other teams are in a feud. Like, your top two yeah. feuds are into the new year, or at least right now, are set to be Bulldogs Islanders and Heart Strike Force, like, yeah. for right this second. So, so yeah, and what's going to happen going forward is – demos and bulldogs are going to switch places. Yep. Right. Like the bulldogs are going to go down to B demos are going to get an A and then the hearts and demos are going to switch places. Yes. Yep. And then strike force is going to go way down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, this feels good. Like if we're making a recommendation, we're saying let's go strike force over the hearts or Islanders over the bulldogs. Rougeau's and demolition, yeah. like you said, are kind of the up and coming teams that maybe could break through soon. Yeah. And then you kind of gut if you want to go upset, maybe you throw one of these teams in, you do something funky, which is what they end up doing. 
uh, or D is just the dream D for dream team. <laughs> D um, for dream team. And Dino. Team going nowhere. Yeah. There's like no recommendation at all. No. Um, to move these you, guys forward. Now, the only one that I would kind of like think about moving right now is the Stallions. To B. Yeah. But I think they're fine at C. But like, that's the one where I'm like, uh. To me, like B and up are like potential tag champions, and the st- the stallions just aren't potential tag champions. No, I would agree. Any of those top now, six, you could see argue- making an argument that they could be like the showcase team of the top six. I think Rougeau's and Demolition are at least in the conversation if you're kind of yep. pegging out '88. So yeah, I would. I mean, if I'm in '87, I might even just say the Islanders. Right. Right, as like the big one. Yeah. And I think if we had to make this equal and move one of the teams down, it's clearly the Bolsheviks, right? Yeah, they got no shot. Let's just do that so we get some balance. We'll have two in each. Yeah. I think that's fine. Or do we want to move the bees down? <laughs> no, because at least uh, we, this is what they did, right? So you can yeah. kind of see they ended up going with this pair to win. Oh, and these two heels have no shot. I mean, the Bolsheviks yeah, are not winning this match. Because if we look at what actually happened, right? So right. Strike Force puts out the Bolsheviks, so the Bolsheviks mm-hmm. are gone. Uh, Axe puts out, so the B team, Axe puts out Rougeau's, so about right. on the le- same level. Then Demolition gets disqualified. Then Neidhart pins uh, Strike Force. Right. So that's cool. And uh, then the Islanders beat the Bulldogs. The Stallions beat the Dream Team. I can't believe the Dream Team lasts that long. Yep. Uh, the Bees beat the Heart Foundation. That's crazy. I know. Uh, and then um, and then the Bees beat uh, the Islanders. So the Islanders, I think, were the team they were kind of imagining. They should have just had them win this. I know it's a feel-good moment with the Bees and Stallions, and they kind of put over the unpredictability of the Survivor match. I would have had the Islanders cut through both those teams, and this, with the push they were about to get, I would have went that route. Yeah, I mean, I guess they didn't want to send the crowd. Like, they're already sending the crowd unhappy at the end of the night Yeah, with Andre. But, um, but yeah, I could see that. All right, cool. Well, that was fun. Yeah, it always is. All right. So check out the rest of Cronoso if you like this. Uh, it's all in audio, the rest of it. This is the only video component. Um, the rest of Cronoso Monthly covering all of Survivor Series 87, uh, match by match and segment by segment, with all the different voices from North-South Connection will be on the audio podcast feed by the time you're watching this, for sure. Sure. And thanks, Ryan, for uh, throwing this our way. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can find us every Saturday, Aaron and I together, No Holes Barred video and audio uh you can also check out all of our content northsouthconnection.com we do all kinds of stuff follow us on social as well facebook twitter instagram smash it TikTok. crescent kick that subscribe button everyone this is the down under thunder dave hall launching us into the Survivor Series Tag Team Encounter, and I am joined by Michael Cook. We're truly making this the north-south on the Cronos. So, Michael, how are you doing? Pretty good. I mean, we're, you know, talking about complete opposites of the world, but, you know, but we might be opposites that way, but our love for WWF, you know, vintage is all the same. That's right. That's right. And we're really excited because we are bringing, as I said, the Survivor Series Tag Team Match. The 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 first time this was ever done, uh, 10 tag teams, five on each team, uh, a massive amount of, uh, of human girth surrounding the ring. Um, and let's let's have a quick look at these two teams, Michael. Um, the the heel team, captained by the Heart Foundation, um, 
But possibly more uh, interesting to note is that when the teams come out, they coming out to Demolition's music as Demolition lead them out to the ring. Um, and the other teams on uh, the Hart Foundation's side are the Dream Team, uh, Dino Bravo and Greg the Hammer Valentine, the Islanders and the Bolsheviks, the, the newly uh, newly born Bolsheviks. Uh, anything stand out to you about this heel team, Michael? Well, you figure about that time, Demolition was getting really, really hot. Um, so that's probably why they came out to their music. And and we got to remember, too, around that time, not everybody had music. Um, the Heart Foundation you know, extreme... didn't start using music to probably another 12, 18 months. So yeah, so that's, that's common as well. And, it, and if you think about it, I mean, now with nostalgia-wise, I mean, everyone knows, you know, when that riff starts, everybody knows it. That's right. Um, so, I mean, and, and the other thing too is, you know, they all, you got to also, they all came out with managers. So there's mm-hmm. also, besides, besides the 20 competitors, I'm sorry, you know, 10 for that side, yeah. you also have jo- Johnny Valiant, Slick, Jimmy Hart, Bobby Heenan, and Mr. Fuji. That's, that's right. A massive amount of humanity on one side of the ring. It's interesting that in this, um, in this match, the, Neither Gorilla or Jesse really talk much about the managers being at ringside. It is it is almost an oversight. Um, they really could have talked about that. I know in in other matches and in other years that that certainly was something that they picked up on, but but not so much here. Um, they they come out to the ring. One thing I want to note: I'm 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 an unabashed Demolition fan, as you said. Demolition were getting hot, but the other team that I really like in the, on this side of things is is the Islanders. Um, and as they come out to the ring, Tama is just a ball of energy. He he's exuding charisma on their way out to the ring. And uh, another team that I, I quite quite love watching. So um, we, we'll see how they they fare. And on the other side of things, we have the team captained by the newly crowned. WWF Tag Team Champions, Strike Force. They won the belts just on one month before this event, taking the belts from the Hart Foundation. And they're joined by the British Bulldogs, the Killer Bees, the Rougeau Brothers, not yet fabulous, and the Young Stallions. So what are your thoughts on this on this team of face competitors? Well, back back then, um, my favorite was the Killer Bees. You know the switcheroo, you know, and everything. And, and there's something about them. Um, as you know, the Bulldogs. I mean, you really can't say it's the Bulldogs. It's more, you know, Davy Boy Smith. But I mean, and Strike Force was awesome. Um, the Young Stallions were up and coming. Uh, you know, in the Rougeos. You know, if you look at both both sides. Within a year, most of these teams are either done with or completely changed. Mm. So it's quite interesting. Um, but this is definitely the boom of the tag team era. It is, absolutely. And and one thing that I really found interesting about this this side of things, about Strike Force's team, is you really have four teams that are very similar in their style and approach to the match. Strike Force the Stallions, the Killer Bees and the Rougeos were all smaller body shape, uh, fast, high-flying type teams. Very, very interesting that you had sort of four teams that all had a similar way of approach to the match. Even the Bulldogs, but even the Bulldogs. Mm. I mean, maybe not at this particular moment, but before mm. Diamond King was the high flyer, David Boy Smith was, you know, was the brute. 
Um, but I mean, also take a look at this. What do we got out there? We got one, I'm looking at it. We got, you know, a future world champion in the, in this and how many different tag team titles, how many different future intercontinental mm. we have king, a, a future King, you know, and it's just amazing. You know, just the amount of talent mm. that we have right here. That's right. Talent galore in this match. And, uh, and, and Gorilla and Jesse pointed out the, the, the amount of talent that's out, that's out there. And, uh, and so as we get this match underway, um, you know, the, the teams seem to be trying to work out who's going to start the match. And finally, um, we have Rick Martel kicking things off against Boris, against uh, Nikolai Volkov. And uh, this is, this, this was, it's very interesting. Uh, Martel gets an early roll up and a very close near four. Volkov uses his power. He tags in Boris and Boris misses a, a big elbow. Um Martel hits a high cross body for a near fall and then he tags in Tito. And Jesse points out that, you know, Martel tagging in his tag teammate um, might be a sign that they're just going for the glory. And Gorilla points out, you didn't say that when uh, Nikolai tagged in Boris. And Jesse goes, oh, I didn't notice it then. But uh, we, you know, just an interesting thing. And something will come up later that they just sort of tagging in their teammates a bit. But um, Tito gets tagged in and straight away hits the forearm and Boris Zukov is out. Very quick elimination. Um, very much a sign, I think, that the Bolsheviks were nothing but cannon fodder um, already. Uh, Boris had only been in the company a couple of months replacing the Iron Sheik. They're gone. Very quick elimination. Uh, certainly gets the crowd going. A great way to sort of build that, that intensity and build that crowd heat, um, having the quick elimination. I mean, I'm going to guess it's just basically Zukov was put in there just to have Nikolai keep a job. Mm. Um, I mean, we're not ready for Nikolai to be American yet because there's still it, it, the xenophobia is still huge there. You know, USA versus Russia. And Vince, they've always said that Vince has had a loyalty to his dad's guys. And Volkov had worked with his dad through throughout his career. So I just think it was more of a loyalty thing to keep them. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. No, I, I, I agree. I think, you know, it was just try and find a way to keep Nikolai in a job and Boris becomes the man you can you can beat quick, pretty quick and that's what they've done. So um, for those of you guys that have never seen the Tag Team Survivor Series, the way it is, is if you get pinned, your tag team partner's eliminated also. Um, I mean, perfectly honest one day i'd like to see this where you know one of these rules where the tag team isn't eliminated it'd be quite interesting um you know but that's a different story we got zolkov and volkov out of there um at this at this point it's just a lot of tags and basically the pace is picked up um and then and then dynamite kid and haku are in there you know no no uh biting off of a nose but dynamite kid and haku chop fest i mean and this isn't slapping the leg of you know 2020 this is this isn't even rick flair chop this is just two guys beating the living daylights out of the out of there i mean the first thing i thought of is is more recently walter and Ela. um what that i can't pronounce his name you know what's his name there but but walter you know those type of chops but they just went crazy 
So after that, Killer Bees um, double teamed Haku a bit. Nightheart comes in. After Paul, um, Roma comes in. Nightheart slams Roma. Axis smash each nail slams, and then a vicious clothesline by Haku. You know by Haku. The heels let Roman. You know they just let Roma attack. It was just really weird. He he basically clotheslined him and just let him tag. You know Jacques comes in as a body. Um, misses a crossbody block and acts with the pen and the Rougeaux are eliminated. Yeah, it was um, it was a very interesting uh, elimination because Jacques really he, he misses the, the crossbody, lands on his belly, and and it's a very easy elimination. Something you know, notorious in the Survivor Series these. Easy eliminations, these easy pins that wouldn't happen in any other match. But uh, I guess, again, another way, you need to get rid of bodies. You can't keep everyone in there, so you've just got to find different ways to get rid of people. And uh, Jacques and Raymond really didn't do much. Um, I don't think Raymond didn't even get in the ring, I think. So, no. um, you know, um, they're, they're, out pretty, they're out pretty easy. So, um, yeah, so at this point... Um, Tama and Dynamite start going at it. Now, I said before, I love Tama. I love the Islanders. I think they are fantastic. And they really, they're really going to town on each other. The action gets fast and furious. Gorilla even says it's fast and furious. And my, I just thought, you're not wrong, Gorilla. It is going like wildfire. Everyone's tagging in and out. Um, the, you know, we end up in a situation where the Anvil, Jim Neidhart, is working on Jim Powers and, uh, and he gets him up in one of those backbreakers over the shoulder and Haku comes off the top rope right across the chest. That's a vicious looking move. But once again, um, Jimmy Powers kicks out and he tags in Paul Roma. Um, and, and this becomes a little bit of a trend in this match. Jimmy Powers and Paul Roma taking up a lot of time in the ring. And I, I will talk about that at the back end of the match. Um, Axe catches... Uh, <laughs> Axe is in the ring and Roma sends him into the corner. He comes a charge and Axe catches him with a great big boot. And it really feels like the, the stallions are there just to be beaten up on. Um, Greg the Hammer Valentine finally gets in the ring and he uh, he beats on Jimmy Powers for uh, for a moment. And uh, and then uh, he tags in Dino Bravo. This is Bravo's first shot in the ring and Gorilla notes that Bravo has bulked up and uh it's interesting to note that this is the last time that the hammer and dino brother do tag up before uh moving into their their singles runs and uh dino bravo will will head up towards a weightlifting challenge soon um smashes back in the ring he and blair are, are, are pounding away smash misses a charge and dynamite comes in the ring and dynamite hits smash with his snap uh clothesline now i want to point out here this was the first time that either Demolition member went off their feet. In in the match to point, any time Demolition had been in there, any beating they'd taken, they'd stayed on their feet. Um, Dynamite gets caught in the corner and Smash starts beating on him and uh, and beating away. And the ref tries to break it up. And it's we don't get a good camera angle of it, but Smash sends the ref away. And the ref calls for the DQ. And um, and demolition are eliminated, looking massively strong. Axe got a pin on Jacques. They bit. They basically the only time they went off their feet is when Smash went down for Dynamite Kid's clothesline. They dominated this this match while they were in there, and they were protected on the way out. They look strong, but they're given that DQ uh, elimination to really protect them and, and keep them looking. 
to keep that build going for them. Yeah, and this was one of the rare errors that you can see, you can say on WWE TV, that the camera did not catch the shove. All you see is the ref down. Um, but I do agree that they do keep Axe and Smash strong. You can tell that this is going to be the future. And you can slowly, you know, you, you can hear, you know, the crowd's just gasping because, I mean, it's just totally different. Now, keep in mind, and, and I don't know how it was down your way, but up here, you know, at this time, not too many people WWF territory was watching NWA. Um, so, you know, this was a new team. Me, for example, and I know our podfather, Mr. Cascola, he was also, I know he got to see NWA, so he knew who the Road Warriors are. But I, a lot of people did not. Mm. You know, this isn't like the internet. This wasn't anything in, in where NWA is available was not prevalent that much. I only got to see it at my grandmother's house. I didn't have it at my house. So I knew, like I always thought that it was similar. But even back then, I had no idea, you know, who these guys were. It was just something totally different, and it worked. Yeah, absolutely. Down here in Australia, we at this point, we weren't getting anything other than WWF um, on television. The only way you would know about anyone outside the WWF is if you were a reader of uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated and similar magazines. So, uh, like you, this was my first taste of something, a, a team so different and so dominant. And, and as I've said, I'm unabashed. I, I, I've loved Demolition from the beginning. I was a big fan. So from there, we get we've, we get uh, um, Bret Hart in there going against the kid. Um, I would have loved to see those two like these days, like in their prime, like this type of, you know, let let their showcase shine um but and and you know they nailed a pile driver like for a two count back then you know pile drivers were the end so so they have a pile driver that doesn't end the mat doesn't get the pin yet a simple body a simple like body block gets the pin yeah but you know and no but who knows there um you know, so they go back and forth. Everyone's out of there. It's just going back and forth, back and forth, tag, tagging in and out. Um, the big thing, the crowd went nuts when Rick Martel was in there against Tama. I mean, mm. he was just going to town, and the crowd was going ballistic. Um, Martel had the Boston Crab on Tama, but the anvil broke it up with a clothesline to the back, boots to the face by Martel. Stan attacks, tagged in, hits the flying forearm, and Nightheart for two. Brett's, Brett makes a save with a farm to the back, and then Nightheart covered Santana. So let me get this straight. You know, Santana and Martel get eliminated by a little hit to the back. Yet Brett Hart doesn't get, you know, there's no elimination from a pile driver. Mm. Go figure. And and, I mean, and, this, quite, and quite surprising that um, the tag team champions get eliminated so early in the match. That just wouldn't happen in the modern era. Well, I, I, I would I would say opposite. It kind of happens more often now. But for 1980s, you know, WWF, the champions were always strong. This would, in, at this point, like nowadays, this would indicate a breakup or something big or a big surprise. But they didn't do those type of surprises back then. Very, 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 very rare. 
And and yeah. and on top of that, they're, they're losing to the former champions. And while that keeps the Hart Foundation in there as the the number one contenders and get their rematches, it, it's it's very surprising that you have um, the Hart fan. Like I said, it's such a prominent position and such a prominent match. The Hart Foundation have taken down the the, the, the former champs have taken down the current champs um, when it was not when it was not going to happen that they were going to get the belts back. So uh, a very surprising outcome there. So at this point. The uh, the the young stallions uh, jump in the ring and they start trying to trying to get in you know some dominance. But uh, Haku lands an awesome drop kick on Jim Powers. Uh, Greg Valentine's back in and everyone just starts beating on Jimmy Powers. He's hopping an absolute uh, hammering. We get the uh, we get that low boat blow spot on the hammer where he where he goes for sort of the body scissors sort of move and always cops the the knees in the groin. And I always love that that little move with 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 hammer. Um, powers blocks a suplex from Hammer, but you know it's it's just I, I don't get why the Stallions are able to continue to kick out and continue to to survive. Um, we, we we basically find a position where uh, the Killer Bees get the hot tag. Um, they jump in. Um, uh, Bret Hart comes into the ring. He misses a drop kick. Um, we get another Bret Hart dynamite spot. Dynamite lands a beautiful suplex on Bret Hart. And just like you said before, these two in their prime would have just been fantastic to, to see them go at it. It would have been amazing. And then Roma tags back in. So these guys that are getting beaten up, keep getting tagging back in. Um, he misses a move. He manages to, to tag uh, B. Brian Blair. Um, and the Bs, we're not seeing much of the Bs in this match at this point. Um, he hits a huge backdrop on Haku. It's massive. Um, the, the British Bulldog, David Boy Smith, is in uh, for a very short period of time. And then Jim Powers. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It just seems to be coming up. Roma Powers, Roma Powers. Um, and then we, we get this spot. Dino Bravo finally comes in the ring. And he doesn't look like he even wants to be there. He, he sort of comes in, does a couple of moves, and he's I'm, I'm back out again. Uh, David Boy Smith hits a press slam on, on Brett the Hitman Hart. Um, and, and then they get near the ropes and it's too easy a tag. And here's the downfall of this big eight, 10 tag teams around the ring is it's just too easy to tag out. Um, David Boy lands the power slam on Haku. And then um, they go for a suplex. Dynamite hits the headbutt on uh, on on Haku, but he comes out rolling with the, you know, sort of almost knocking himself out. The old Islanders with the super hard heads gimmick uh, concept they used to do that with the Samoans as well. Haku lands a magnificent, fantastic thrust kick, and the Bulldogs are eliminated by the Islanders. This was a great elimination. Haku looked good. Um, the the storyline played well leading into it. And um, and this is a strong victory for the Islanders. Uh, really, really prominent win for them. Um, and it was it was really good. Um, that was a good back and forth for for everybody there. Um, it's funny because when uh, there was a little poke of the high, uh, Jesse and Monsoon were talking about that dreaded move, you know, the poke to, you know, the poke to the eye. Um but again, the highlight of that whole that whole set again is Bret Hart and Dynamite Kid. I mean, it was just it was just awesome. And like you said, Haku, which would be known for later, you know, just a monster. Um, this leads us where it's two face teams for 
uh, it's two versus three. At this point, uh, Bravo Valentine are working together against Jimmy Powers. Bret Hart slams Powers against the turnbuckle and hung him upside down. Bravo with a back body drop on Powers, followed by a stun gun. And, you know, Valentine went for the figure four leg lock, but Powers kicked him away. Roma tags in, sunset flip off the rope, and that's enough to pin Valentine. Oh, I just this this is just this one stunned me. This one stunned me. Uh the, the young stallion's getting the pin on 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 the hammer. Um, you know, as I said before, this is the last time the dream team are tagging up. But th- this was quite shocking, uh, I felt. Um a very big upset uh in the making. And um, but it was a good a good move. It was well done and well executed. This this leads us into a into a passage of the match um where you know, you've got the the Heart Foundation and the Islanders now against the uh, against the Stallions and the Bees, but we really get into this movement where um, the Islanders and the Hearts are just beating on the young Stallions. It's just it really is just a massive heat building moment, um, and they are um, they they just they just it, it, the match is slowed down a bit here, and they just they just keep working each other over. Uh, we get some good. Good moves, um, you know, and and the the stallions continue to just avoid being eliminated, just not get quite there. Um, at one point, Roma hits a, a fist into into Bret Hart's very near the throat, as uh, Jesse likes to say. And Jesse even says, "If I think it was near the throat." And Gorilla invites Jesse to be the referee for the match. Um, and then in a really, really cool moment, Gorilla sort of says he'd love to see a drop kick from the anvil, and immediately. Jim the Anvil Nightheart nails a drop kick. <laughs> it's a great moment. Um, Brunzel and Brett are in the ring. They get do the head-to-head spot, the slam heads. And uh, and at this point, um, Brett goes to slam Jim Brunzel. Oh, sorry, Jim Brunzel goes to slam Brett Hart. Tama drop kicks Brett in the back to try and give them the advantage. But Brunzel rolls through and gets a big pin on Brett the Hitman Hart. And the Bees have eliminated the heart foundation and uh it's interesting that in this moment one a really cool bit is a really cool part of the spot is that haku tries to come in and break up the pin and he only just misses the the moment of the three count so it's a very well timed just missed the breakup and i really like that that moment it looked good but yeah the bees with a with a very big uh very big win over the heart foundation um you know and I'll give my thoughts about this whole thing a little bit, um, but it was a good, like you said, it was a good segment in between, and it was an interesting, it was an interesting pin. And you know, looking back at it now, especially people who, uh, the younger crowd, would be like, "What the heck is a Jim Brunzel pinning Bret Hart?" Hmm. Keep in mind, folks, this is 1987. So right now, all we have left are the island, the Islanders versus Killer Bees and Young Stallions. And they're just going back and forth. A lot of um, false finishes. I mean, and there are some brutal, brutal chops, brutal elbows. Um, Tama with a back elbow on B. Brian Blair, but then he missed the elbow drop. Brazil um, with a back body slap, a slam, and a double noggin knocker. Uh, you know, everybody went in to face a coup. Tama was left with Brunzel, who went in for a sunset flip pin. Brunzel put the mask on, you know, did the switcheroo, um, did the sunset flip over the top to pin Tama, even though he wasn't the legal man. Um, 
but the ref was distracted by everyone else. I mean, a 37 match and your sole survivors, which I always find hilarious because they're not sole, uh, the Killer Bees and Young Stallions. But just just so you know, you know, and I don't know how much you were watching, you know, then I because I, I, Dave, how old are you? I'm uh, in my late 40s. Okay, so we're the same age. Yeah. So, but here, you know, at this time, got to remember that the Young Stallions and were the up and coming team. They were put together. They were the young. They were Vince McMahon. I mean, everything, the body guys, quick, young, you know, so they were the up and comers. Problem is, is that they had no personality. Mm. Uh, the Killer Bees were favorites. They were never going to win the tag team titles, but, you know, you give them for loyalty you know, how well they're over. So, so at this, at the present time, I think Killer Bees and Young Stallions at that time were good because as you'll see, as we get onto more pay-per-views later, everybody ends up having a sort of role if they're still together. So I, I, I don't mind this win. And I would say, you know, I, I would give this whole tag team match, especially since the first time it's done in the B, I, I would probably give it three and a half stars. Yeah, look, um, I, I will agree. I think this is a little bit of a it's sort of the killer bees moment. I think the the killer bees because they were never going to win the tag titles. I think this was the opportunity to just sort of honour them for for all the work they've done. Sadly, the bees are going to start the downward spiral down the card after this. That this is sort of the last great moment for them before they start moving into job it to the stars uh, territory. Um, yeah, I, I, I've got to I've got to question you about the. Uh, about the young stains thing while they were up and coming, they were still really only ever presented as nothing more than jobbers on, uh, on television, on superstars of wrestling. They, they never really got anything prominent. Um, and so I, I, I do find it surprising. I think the two teams that looked the best in the whole match were Demolition and the Islanders. Demolition, as I said earlier, looked strong and dominant. The Islanders looked fantastic throughout. A lot of work they did. They were the team that really carried the load in terms of uh, the heel side of things, working the working the match and and really keeping the momentum going. It was not slow. They never they never had any of those rest holds, and they kept this match flowing. They looked fantastic, and honestly. I would have loved to have seen the Islanders get the win here, but I also get that in the context of the structure of the card going into a, a main event and what they had planned for the main event, you really needed the good guy. You need the fans cheering at the end of this match. So I get why the Islanders didn't come go out in front, but this comes back to why you didn't keep strike force until the end there. I, this, this is where I think the, the, the interesting move to have Strike Force eliminated. I don't understand why you wouldn't have Strike Force stay to the end and and get the win and, and get that prominent prominent role. You want the bees in there. I like that bees move and the and the mass confusion thing. Um, I probably would have preferred to have seen the stallions go earlier and maybe the you know, maybe Tito getting a lot more of the the being the one worked over through the match. And uh, I think it would have it would have been more acceptable to me that Tito and Martel were getting beaten on because they just such good at selling that that part of the match but um you know as it is it, it wasn't the way to and, and we've talked about you know looking at doing other things and and the, the champions going earlier maybe giving the focus to the killer i think if the champs were in there it'd take the focus off the killer bees but uh i think it's um all in all good match i, I i've actually i go four boomerangs i really think this is worth coming back and uh and looking at uh, over again i've watched it a few times 
the, the the there are elements where it slows down it's needed to um and they they work on this formula a bit more in the next year and and the crowd was hot for most or most of that um time and you know they didn't really sit down but then again this is 1980 late 80s wwf i mean they ate up everything mm. um you know great great match and you know, that's that's really about it. So, all right. So, thank you very much for listening to our segment. And uh, well, you're nearly there, guys. The main event is on the horizon. I'm David Hall, and if you, want I'm Michael catch- Cook. And uh, thanks for listening. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Cronoso Monthly. I'm Tim Slomka, joining you today to talk about a segment at Survivor Series 1987. Uh, this segment's related to the, the, the debuting Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. A really random segment um, to kind of to kind of accumulate all his uh, actions so far. But he's not involved in a match, so I like this character building they're going to give. So we after the tag team match, we throw to Jesse and Gorilla back, uh, who are at the announce booth. And, and Jesse's really excited about wondering how the Million Dollar Man is going to spend his Thanksgiving. From that, we get Million Dollar Man in his limo counting his thousands or $100 bills. Just keeps calling everyone throughout this segment, poor people, saying that he's going to celebrate um, Thanksgiving properly and everyone else is going to have their week lame turkey dinners. Uh, so I love also the Million Dollar Man in this. He doesn't have the full 80s mullet. He's got some back hair, but not the full wrestling mullet. So I think it gives some credibility in this character. Uh, something I thought about is he was kind of the way he was uh, sitting in the, ch- the chair kind of Falling off his hair, but not in a mullet style. Um, so they show first they as he's in the limo, they show two two superstars uh, podium appearances. First is three hundred dollars for ten push-ups to a kid. The kid only gets to nine and then gives up. Uh, and then the second time is the classic dribbling of the basketball. He does it. The kid does it fourteen times. Uh, kid kicks it or DiBiase kicks it on the 15th time, doesn't get his $500. And, and DiBiase with some mean jokes about how the kid could use more than $500. Uh, mass on both these segments, massive crowd heat. Uh, he's already in his all-black suit. Makes him look way different than any other wrestler, not in his wrestling tights, but in his all-black glowing suit with Virgil already. So really building up this character as an all-timer. Uh, then we go into a, uh, his uh, you know cigar room next, where he's sitting there and with Virgil's in there watching him over him. And he talks about how, you get again more try to show up more of his, his segments of how he's treated people and how poor people are. Uh, this time they show a highlight of uh, for three hundred dollars. He's trying to get a woman to bark like the dog. He calls her pathetic that she can't really bark. And then we get to his white tablecloth dinner uh, with about four or five servants serving him food. He rings a bell to get him some water. Uh, so really, really, you know, obnoxious. Because uh, Virgil's just standing up looking behind him. A little weird The Virgil's kind of there at every room that he's at, but uh, really just showing off that he's a bodyguard at all times because he's so rich. Um, and this, there he talks about how he had someone after his match, you know, go down to his sweaty feet. It's more of a Jerry Lawler thing. That was Jerry Lawler's big thing versus Ted DiBiase's, but still a great character building. Again, all four of these highlight segments are just massive heats. Um, and then they show the last segment that they get that when he says, you know, he, during the summer, he could really use something nice and, here he talks about how he bought out a public pool. It's amazing, uh, ter- you know, terrible acting. But you know, DiBiase is like, you know what? I don't care if the pool is public or other people are there. I'm just going to buy this out. So, it, you know, all five of these are amazing segments to really show what kind of jerk he is. Classic '80s, uh, you know, uh, 
rich villainer New York City stereotypes uh, that kind of go off with this. Um, and then we kind of end after the pool. We end with uh, him driving away, and he's got a fur coat on, and just kind of laughing away about how how he's rich and everyone else is poor, and uh, you know the million dollar man has defeated everyone that he's ever come in contact with. So. They throw back to Jesse and, and Gorilla, who get ready for the main event. But Jesse, of course, is just laughing and loving this segment the whole time. So great character building for DiBiase, a new guy that came in big from you know other territories, uh, but really putting him over as a jerk. The, the crowd heat's there. He's going to be involved, you know, as we get into the the the, uh, the winter and spring and the title picture. So I like him not being as much as probably you know would love to see a character in a match kind of love this segment as kind of something else to show that he's big time. Um, and, and just kind of build that character over. This is a guy that, uh, you know, does it. It's a long segment in the fact that they have five, they're showing highlights of other segments, but time well spent probably give the crowd a little bit of intermission, uh, considering these, this one, the survivor series, I don't think has intermission compared to some of the other events at the time that had the pure, you know, 15, 20 minute intermission. So great job here. Um, and like I said, Jesse is, is loving this as well. So you get the character, you know, you get the Jesse's kind of correlated with Kibiasi as well. Uh, so like I said, at the beginning, I'm Tim Slomka. I'm on, uh, every other Tuesday with JP going through the new generation era, just about to get to WrestleMania 10 right now. So working our way through it, uh, past, past the Royal Rumble, the tie of Lex Luger and Bret Hart. Uh, we're doing Brennan Shaw and Survivor Series 92 to Brennan Shaw and Survivor Series 97, uh, and, and working our way through 1994 right now. Like I said, check out our Royal Rumble episode and, and we'll soon enough be in WrestleMania 10, uh, you know, also joining Cronosa monthly and then helping Ryan Gray out, uh, with the WrestleMania proof preview i did it my first ever tier with ryan gray on the, the men's four-way tag match so great stuff all on the north south connection R listen rate review and hope you check us out and thanks so much for all the feedback see you again next month up next we will witness the next chapter in the greatest wrestling feud of all time as hulk hogan's team and andre the giant's team do battle this is a follow-up to the greatest wrestling match of all time at wrestlemania 3 and now these two generals have assembled armies to do battle here at the inaugural survivor series so the soldiers that hulk hogan has enlisted in his army are mr wonderful paul orndorff don the rock morocco the world's strongest man ken patera and the greatest wrestler from new jersey ever the beast from the east bam bam bigelow on andre's side we have slicks guys the natural butch reed and the one-man gang and members of the heenan family ravishing rick rude and wrestlemania number two main eventer from atlantic city new jersey and excellent computer salesman king kong bundy assembling these teams was interesting as paul orndorff got pissed off when bobby heenan started managing rick rude essentially giving orndorff a babyface run don morocco replaced superstar billy graham Billy Graham was feuding with Butch Reed at the time, and during a match, the one-man gang, Butch Reed's uh, stablemate under Slick, came out, uh, fucked up Billy Graham, took him out pretty much forever, and uh, Don Morocco came out to save Billy Graham. Campatera had become a good guy fighting Bobby Heenan and King Kong Bundy, who was Bobby Heenan's charge. Paul Orndorff, when he became a good guy, enlisted the help of Oliver Humperdinck to neutralize Bobby the Brain Heenan, and Bam Bam Bigelow had chosen Oliver Humperdinck to be his manager, tying all these dudes together and obviously Hulk Hogan needed Bam Bam Bigelow the greatest phenom in the WWF at the time to be on his team so everyone kind of ties in together very interesting that Hulkster's team is most of these guys have been heels and heels that have feuded with him so 
I don't know what that says about Hogan, other than that he cannot get along with anybody. <laughs> this Survivor Series match does kind of correlate to a movie, The Predator, that came out in 1987, just a few months before this. You know, in this analogy, Hulk Hogan would be Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he has his team of mercenaries, and they're battling an unstoppable monster, which is Andre the Giant. I'll let you cast that yourselves, but obviously the baddest motherfucker on Arnold's team is the incredible Bill Duke as Mac, and his analog would be the baddest motherfucker on Hulkster's team, Bam Bam Bigelow. Bill Duke shaving his bald head and screaming is pretty much tantamount to Bam Bam Bigelow having a flaming bald skull himself. So you do your own stunt casting there. So earlier in the night between the Savage Honky and the Mua Sherry Survivor Series team matches, we interviewed Andre's team in the back. And this is one hell of a cool-looking fucking team of monster heels. Everyone's high-fiving and smiling. Even Andre's smiling. He's all pumped up. And it's great, but as soon as they say Andre's name out loud, he stops smiling and talking to the boys and just stands up with his fists clenched. Bobby Heenan has the mic, and he talks about how Andre tasted victory because he pinned Hogan at Mania 3. Heenan guarantees a victory here tonight. And all the bad guys are reassuring Andre that he had Hogan pinned for the 3. Andre says, I did it once, and I will do it again. Slick grabs the mic and says, These gentlemen are not going to behave as gentlemen tonight they're going to be a group of cruel sadistic animals the boys in the back are going crazy Heenan explains how this bad guy team's gonna take out everyone on Hogan's team leaving Hogan and Andre alone for Andre to get some revenge at this moment Andre screams at everybody to shut up and everybody we're talking about one man gang King Kong Bundy two of the biggest dudes ever Butch Reed one of the strongest guys ever and Rick Rude probably the one of the most badass shoot guys in wrestling history ever all stop talking because Andre's talking the boss is talking the camera closes in on Andre's evil fucking face. He addresses Hogan here and says, Hogan, I am coming here for your soul. Your fucking soul. Um, and that he will be the survivor. Dude, it is insane. Andre's just peering into the camera, into the audience, into Hogan. I love this. Andre is so incredible here. The religious iconography here, again, talking about coming for his soul, ripping the crucifix. Andre and Hogan is a biblical motherfucking feud, man. As Andre's team is introduced and enters the ring, finally with Andre being introduced by Bobby Heenan as the uncrowned champ with no music playing and just a chorus of boos for the for the angry giant. We cut to Hulk Hogan's team in the back. Hogan's soldiers are lined up being interviewed by Gene. Hogan is pacing back and forth in front of them like a madman. He walks up to Bam Bam Bigelow and pretty much headbutts him right in the fucking face. Hogan says, look how hungry the animals are. No rules when you're dealing with Mother Nature. And everyone's posturing in the back. This kind of fits the Predator thing with uh, Hogan talking about nature and the food chain and how none of that matters tonight. He refers to Don Morocco as having a deep, dark past. He refers to Campatera as being one of the strongest. And he refers to Bam Bam Bigelow's fire. And that fire is needed just in case they have to burn the whole jungle down. And then he refers to Paul Orndorff as the most unpredictable animal on the team. And I, obviously this is based on Hulk Hogan's past with him. Gene asks everyone how hungry they really are. And Orndorff says, he's hungry and he's here to survive. Pantera says, the strongest will survive. Pantera. Jesus Christ, I sound like Beavis. Um, I meant Ken Patera. Don the Rock Morocco breaks the narrative a little bit here and says that the training is over and he's here for a good time. Oliver Humperduck doesn't say much, thank God. And then the Beast from the East talks and he says that he is here to burn the building down, man. And then he just starts chanting the word survive and pumping his fist over and over. Hogan just attacks Bam Bam Bigelow, swallows him up with a very masculine macho kind of hug and they just go out to the ring this is men getting ready for war bamber is the last to speak hogan says we're going motherfucker bam bam shows the most charisma here he looks so fucking cool um and what's what's next it's war and like slayer said the sport is total war when victory is a massacre when victory is survival and up next we're gonna see who survives my name is rocco martone and i say check it out
It's time for the main event, and you can't do the main event without a main event of podcasting legends, and I got two with me here tonight. First, my partner on the 24-inch podcast, Dave Rollins, is here. Hey, Hollywood hey. Dave. Dave, what's going on, buddy? Welcome, what's up, guys? Welcome to, every, welcome to another podcast that isn't ours. Your first time, right? First time or right here is North-South Connection. I've been a long-time listener, and uh, it's always great to share the mic, not literally share the microphone, but share the microphone with you, Steve, and the guy you're about to introduce right now is a podcast legend in my book, so I'm a little nervous right here talking being on a podcast with this man, so here we go. We say that nobody knows our era like us except maybe this guy, so we're excited to do it with him, and that's from New York, Long Island. You're on New Jersey. I'm in Buffalo. It's kind of a tri-state kind of a thing, but you know I'm Western New York. Anyway, John D'Amato, what's going on, man? How you doing, buddy? Uh, thank you, guys. I, I love you guys. Uh, thanks for all the compliments. But uh, you know, un- unfortunately for all the listeners, the reason why uh, I have the knowledge and know so much is because of the uh, lack of uh, dating and uh, <laughs> lack of uh, female uh, contact. Uh, that's what I've got. <laughs> I had all the time in the world to, <laughs> to, to watch wrestling. Hey, that's the coming. ones that get the most that say that. Just let me tell you, let you into that secret. <laughs> yeah, hookers, maybe. Um, <laughs> I, people were telling me, you're not going to be able to watch as much wrestling when you have a kid. So I just made sure I had a kid that she liked wrestling, too. So Paula, who joins us on the 24-inch podcast, but it's past her bedtime tonight to join us. Uh, she uh, watches wrestling with us as well. I'm Steve Bennett, by the way, and we got to talk about the main event from Survivor Series 1987, and uh, it's a it's a bunch of guys are in the ring uh, for this one. And well, we'll, they reinforced the ring for this one. Yeah, they did reinforce the ring. Dave, why don't you tell us about the uh, uh, the uh, the heels, the the Giants team? Uh, in my opinion, this is the greatest Survivor Series team of all time. I mean, you got you got the captain, 520 pounds of Andre the Giant, seven foot four. King Kong Bundy, the one-man gang, you know, the other two giants in the company at the time. And then, of course, you got uh, to round out the team, the natural Butch Reed and ravishing Rick Rude. Uh, everybody was um, on that team was super over at that time. Uh, a gang was working with Hogan on the house shows. Bundy was working with Hogan on Saturday night's main event. Just uh, that next Saturday, what's to say about Andre? You know what I mean? What's not to be said, I'm, I mean, uh, I'd rather say. Just a phenomenal team. Just those big, big, big heavy hitters. Yeah, and they were uh, accompanied to the ring by Bobby Heenan and Slick. Uh, John, do you want to talk about the face team? A lot of subs on the face team, I feel like. A lot of subs in this match in general. This night. The the, the face team is uh, the three of the guys uh, had vicious wars with the uh, right in MSG. I mean, uh, Morocco had the... Uh, this is like a year and a half, uh, or about two years after Morocco and uh, Hogan had the trilogy at, at MSG, right? And of course, uh, Orndorff and uh, and Hulk had had the uh, yeah. Jesse mentions Jesse mentions it too. Kenny Trust, Mister yeah. Wonderful. Kenny Trust, yeah, him. and even uh, you know, Patera in eighty four, eighty five. Uh, Hogan had a uh, battle. Every everybody but Bam Bam. Yeah. <laughs> And, yeah, and, def- and definitely, you know, you could tell Gorilla was like, oh, Mr. Wonderful, the fans love him and all that. Yeah. Right away, Jesse loves to dig up the dirt. He's like, oh, I don't know how Hogan could trust him. Yeah, yeah which is really good. Really doesn't well know done. what the hell uh, he wants. Uh, you know, he, he, Jesse uh, brought it right up about all Orndorff's free, frequent turns. So I, said, yeah. I, love, I, love, I love the dynamic of this team. This is kind of like a last chance for like uh, Patera, Morocco, and Orndorff to. 
they all had turned their face. They, they, they were all probably, uh, all three of them probably better as heels. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. That's without a doubt. Yeah. Especially Orndorff on this one. I, I like yeah. Orndorff's first uh, face run, but this one was uh, mad with the Oliver Humperdinck. And, uh, yeah, this one sucked. With yeah. Piper, when he worked with Piper, the first face run was good, but he, he, got, he even got a little stale after that. I thought it's a much better heel. Yeah, and a jacked up Morocco. I, I, I kind of liked him, although he never really... Uh, he never really went uh, too far as a face. Uh, you know, he was a he was a phenomenal heel, but uh, for for this last run, yeah, he he went to the candy store and uh, yeah, and, and tried tried to make it as a as a face. He, he was pumped up coming down that aisle. I think he broke somebody's wrist slapping fives. <laughs> yeah, uh, the um, I know one of the subs was uh, superstar Billy Graham was out of the match, supposed to be in Morocco. Morocco yeah. sub for him, right? Yeah, the gang, uh, the gang took him out. Uh, Superstars, was, uh, yeah, it was nice, nice attacks. A couple, couple splashes on the hip on the outside of the ring. Well, they. But get, also, I like the uh, the heel entrance at first. Uh, uh, you'll you'll never see it again. Where uh, uh, they're coming out to the uh, the stripper music was a uh, rude and Bundy. <laughs> both, 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 <laughs> what a combination! And then and then they go into a little uh, drive soul brawl for uh, to, to to bring out the uh, the gang and. Uh, and uh, and and Butch Reed, and, and then and then uh, they chill for a couple minutes, and and comes out to silence the freaking the great Andre. Yeah, right? no music. It just makes the amazing interest, and, and I love how, how his teammates really had like a, a love for him. Uh, you know, they were all these mean guys, but they all greeted him and and hugged him, and I had a, you know a lot of respect for him. It, it really showed uh, you know you know for the heel, it made you like the heels uh, for a second. You know how they yeah, did. I really liked it. I thought even Bundy looked small next to Andre, right? Did Jesse say that? Like, whoa. Yeah. It, guy, yeah. It's good to see some of these heels, like you said, getting uh getting a payday in the main event here. They give him twenty two minutes overall. Uh Hulk's team comes in after the after after the heels, obviously. Hulk gets a huge pop here again, coming out last by himself. I thought uh really well done by the crowd in in, in outside of Cleveland, which <laughs> Jesse just absolutely pounds on Cleveland the whole last 25 minutes of this pay-per-view which is pretty great um the first pinfall is uh hulk eliminates butch reed at three minutes uh on a leg drop any thoughts about butch reed and his brief uh entrance and then elimination in this match uh you want to go first tomato go ahead john yeah i was i was expecting a, a lot more from from uh butch reed Same. But, uh, yeah it, it was it was a disappointing run uh and and I think it was it was hurt. He never really had like like a, a big feud. It was it was kind of with Superstar was like really his only feud. And then whatever they did after that, uh, you know, wasn't much. It looked like you know from from Mania that they were they were going to go into something with Tito, but uh, nothing ever developed after that. Supposedly he was supposed to win the IC uh, title. And, yeah, I wonder what happens right. if he does. That, you know, that story is whatever. Yeah. But uh, they they never really did nothing to him uh, other than the, the superstar feud. So a little disappointing. Uh, and in this match, yeah, he was just uh, a fodder. Uh, you, you you could always tell in these Survivor Series like like who's where where they are on the card by who gets pinned first. You know, with, with a couple exceptions, like like we saw in the tag team where you know the Stallions and the Bees uh, that, that was that was like a miracle. But it, but in this in this main event, you you, you saw the pecking order. Yeah, very uh, much. Good point. Right. Dave. No conquistadors here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Butch Reed. Yeah. They, they brought him in strong. He did have that feud with Tito, uh, house show feud. You know, n- not a real big angle about around it's uh, Tito body slam slick uh, and superstars, and that's started a little. And, and Butch Reed came out and that started a little angle there. Then uh, the superstar feud, of course, they had the, that big pose down 
on Superstars, uh, the startup that feud. They sold out the Garden in a steel, big steel cage match in October of 87. Then it's all downhill for the natural after that. Uh, yeah, kind of uses fodder here. Uses fodder at WrestleMania 4 for Macho in, in the first round. Uh, then basically, on his, I think that was it for him, right? After WrestleMania 4, he's on his way out. Uh, Slick, Slick actually said in some shoot or something that uh, Reed wasn't like he missed a lot of shots and stuff like that. If he couldn't get a ride, he just wouldn't go. And and uh, things like that. He 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 wasn't like a team player, unfortunately. So that's maybe why his push was derailed. All right, that makes it one last on the heel side as we're gonna watch the uh, the balance, how they work the balance here, and they even it up in five minutes at the eight minute mark. The one man gang eliminates Campatera by pinfall as well. So clean pinfalls to start off, and there's what one, two, three, four, five of them in a row. Uh, yeah. Guys going out clean. Any thoughts? Why don't you start us this time, Dave, on Patera and his uh, his match here? Same thing. He, they brought him back strong with that whole jail, you know, getting out of jail. He sold me down the river, and that the, the debate with Bobby to bring him is yeah, phenomenal. Broke his neck. Phenomenal. Yeah. One of one of the classic moments in wrestling. But then he uh, dislocated something in his arm, something that arm problem, and just boom, downhill. One day he started looking like Richard Simmons. I always say by this point, <laughs> yeah, he, he he was he was Jobberts of stars here. I think he had a little team. He had a little team with Billy Jack Haynes at the time. You know, they uh, they feuded with Demolition a little bit at this time. But um, yeah, uh, nothing much. I he definitely expected him to go out first for the uh, baby faces. What do you think, John? Oh, oh yeah. Uh, I I, I uh, forgot to mention though, when, when he was coming down to Jesse, I threw threw a shot going. Oh yeah, there's the jailbird. Uh, <laughs> Jesse was uh, was amazing in this. Uh, he was throwing salt right away. Uh, another thing on the entrance is when a gorilla gorilla was all, all hyping up uh, Bam Bam's entrance, going, "Oh, the crowd going bananas for Bam Bam," mm. and Jesse's like, "I don't know why he's so ugly." <laughs> <laughs> and, and Jesse was a rare one. But going back to the uh, after the read up, and uh, it, it was something I wanted to bring up when uh, you know Hogan did all the high fives and was celebrating, and then that, and then they were setting up the. Uh, the, the the first big showdown with Andre. Right, they made Pantera come in. Oh, Joey Morella got to get it, and that was another thing that Jesse noticed right away. Oh, look who the referee is, <laughs> Joey Morella. Yeah, you know, saving Andre hope again. The match. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was just watching this with my my bro- oh, sorry, Kurt, just watching this with my brother in law. You know, ten minutes ago, and why couldn't Pantera just uh, tag Hogan back in? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's that. that that's uh, I, I was gonna say the same thing. Oh, you're gonna say, I'm sorry about that. They'll make it out. I don't worry about it because it's obvious. <laughs> it's like, duh, they, they made such a big thing. And the girl was like, Oh, he wasn't <laughs> a man in the ring. And, and Hulk was like, Oh, I have to go out now. Yeah, all you had to do was if you really wanted one of them, <laughs> it kind of made it. Yeah, it was kind of dumb. I, that was a you know, that's that's a, that, that was one criticism. Of yeah, but Andre had no time for it. He just turned around Jesse and walked out. Oh, he's so, he's so good. Jesse's so good here. Um, we get two more minutes of action, and then Rick Rude pins Paul Orndorff. Um, and that means we have two gone on Hulk's side and one gone on the heel side. Ten minutes into the match, Orndorff, Patera, and Reed is gone. One thing I noticed is that all of Hulk's WrestleMania opponents are in this match except for Piper, who's retired. But Orndorff, Andre, and... Bundy, Bundy yeah. are in the match, so I thought that was well, cool. yeah, kind of cool. There's somebody. Uh, there's, there's also uh, Orndorff from Morocco on the same team, and they fought in uh, in two. Right, right, yeah. You know, Hard match, bro. They're, they're still the match. And, and earlier, of course, in this pay per view, I'm sure it was talked about. 
it was a disgrace as far as I was concerned as a kid. Oh, yeah. That Savage and Steamboat were on the same team. I mean, yeah. Savage so, literally uh, tried to kill Steamboat. Yeah, Jake and Steamboat. And Jake, too, yeah. yeah. So. I noticed this as a seven-year-old, too. I was like, yeah. eh. Oh, yeah, I yeah, definitely I, noticed I loved that as it, a seven-year-old. I noticed, still noticed yeah. it, yeah. Oh, I noticed it. I, I didn't trust the, the Savage ever. was 40. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but definitely. Uh, Jake tried to kill him, tried to put his head through the, the That's concrete. That's right. Yeah. Oscar tried to take his throat, and Steam was like, all right. You know, I'll be friends. I'll give him. Yeah, we'll be friends. No problem. Uh, but also, that... I don't know if the if the guys that did the match uh, mentioned it probably. Uh, you know, probably not. They're a little young. They weren't 40 like me when the match was. <laughs> it was... It was JYD all along. It was a junkyard dog, and then like a week before, I guess uh, you know, a junkyard was in his uh, whatever uh, you know, a little too much cocaine or whatever. Right. Out. Yeah, and bailed out, and all of a sudden, a week before, they said it's going to be Ricky the Dragon Steamboat out of nowhere, because because Steamboat was still uh, at know, home, right? Yeah, you know, with, with the baby. So that so that was a big surprise. But yeah, but, yeah I had the same thing. I was like, wow, you know. Steamboat really forgives these guys uh, quick. <laughs> they should have done. Do you remember? You guys remember the uh, Piper and Hogan against Race and Orndorff at the Garden, November '86. Right. Uh, Piper and Hogan would just do a disdain before they tag each other. Yeah, they trust each other. You yeah. know, so they had to build that trust. I think they right. should have done that a little bit in these matches too. Yeah. That, that, that was a rare. That was like a rare tag team with Hulk, where where, Pi, where Piper was up. His his uh, partner got the pin. And yeah, like, that Piper gives Hulk the bird, and he and he walks Italian out. jab and out. That's my fa- that's my favorite Garden uh, main uh, event. I think. Is there any other last words for Mister Wonderful before we move on? No, well, uh, more it's more about Rude. Rude did not like. Rude was just like a punching bag through through the whole. Uh, yeah, and Jesse mentioned through, it. Through the whole match, he, he didn't get he didn't get one offensive move in until uh, Orndorff got distracted. And then Rude, uh, you know, rolls him up, pulls the tights, and gets the pin. But other than that, Rude was just a punching bag. The whole. Uh, the whole match. All he did was sell for everybody. And, and then eventually he, t- he got, sp- got the pin from uh, Morocco. Yeah, and Jesse mentions, like, and Jesse, who's the biggest Rude fan in the company, is like, Rick Rude is having an off night. And that off night continues one minute later as Morocco pins Rude at the 11-minute mark. Like those tights. Oh, cool. he always had the, the best tights. Traffic signs. Uh, yeah, too good. And then at the 13-minute mark, kind of our last in this in this run here, uh, Morocco is then eliminated by the one-man gang by pinfall, and we're down to three on two uh, with 13 minutes left. Any thoughts on Morocco and the gang and that pinfall before we go on to the Hulk stuff? Well, the gang was uh, out in a row with Hulk at this time, so that, that was his big house show opponent, so they're going to keep him strong there. Um, I say out of uh, our, our heels that turned babyface, Morocco, Patera, and Orndorff, I think Morocco had the best run out of the three as uh, the baby face there. He got the pin on Rude, uh, like you said before. And, um, you know, it's a Survivor Series. People get pinned with closed lines and punches and stuff. <laughs> you know, it's a, so uh, you got to go out one way or another. So bye-bye, Morocco. Anything there, John? Yeah, he, he, showed, he showed great fire. And uh, and, and you could see that we're gonna, they were going to try to at least, to, you know, maybe give him a little bit of a, a run as a baby face. Uh, we'll see coming up uh, – in the next uh, paper, yes, we got a great few with uh, Valentine. Uh, yeah, yeah. All right, so we're three on two here, and um, you know, going into this as a kid, I'll say this: I remember thinking and telling my my friends at school, Hulk is going to get screwed in this match. There's just too many managers on the outside. There's too many cheaters. They're going to find a way to cheat Hulk. That's how I was looking at it going in. 
And that's what they did here. They they bait Hulk to the outside. They keep Hulk outside. They get him counted out and eliminated at the 16-minute mark. Um, and Hulk is gone. Shocking moment for me, even though I didn't expect the best for him in this at, at this time. This is the first time I've ever seen him fail, really, uh, as a kid. You know, to see Hulk not win. He's not going to win. He's not going to be the sole survivor. It was it was shocking. Um, yeah. And... Uh, a crazy moment. We're down to three on one. Hulk is gone. Um, Jesse's pumped, super happy. He got outsmarted, baited by the heels, um, and and he's out. I wonder why Bundy wasn't counted out as well, but um, Hulk is out. So, uh, John, what do you think of this? Yeah, I, I was. It, it's it's a shock because up until every pay per view up until this ended with a, you know, a Hogan victory. So this is. But also, uh, and once again, Jesse, phenomenal. For, from the very beginning, they're, they're building up. Like, like Hulk and Andre haven't touched since WrestleMania three. And Andre was a little hiatus, and, and Hulk was dealing with other foes. And and Jesse and Gorilla, they, they were both building up the next uh, Hulk-Andre match, which, which at this point you figured it would be uh, WrestleMania. But, uh, well, we're not going to spoil it. We'll, we'll be talking about Stuff like that in the, in the future, but they're, they're definitely building up, building up the ring between uh, Hulk and Andre, uh, ex- expert uh, between Jesse and Gorilla here. And they do a good job. I'll throw it to you in a second, Dave. I think they do a good job of dancing around the confrontation, but not giving anything away. You know what I mean? They 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 do enough to show that Hulk Hulk's biggest threat is still Andre. Andre's still that guy, uh, but they don't. You know. They don't fall into a trap of like Andre getting a pinfall or anything here like that. They get Hulk out, I think, very smartly. Dave, what'd you think about this? I just want to tell a little personal story before I tell you what I think about the Good. moment. Uh, this, this, we didn't have pay per view yet in Kearney, New Jersey at the time, uh, not until 1988. So um, we actually have a Thanksgiving uh, family video from 1987, and I'm misbehaving as a seven year old kid, and you hear my dad in the background yelling, I'm not getting a survivor match from Dominic at work tomorrow to bring it home. So I watched this. <laughs> so I, I watched this on tape the next day, but um, I loved how Hulk slammed them both. That's Hulk retaining his heat there. You know, yeah. I love when he slams the fat guys, you know, and I like Bundy and gang working together to eliminate Hulk, you know, that they're working for Andre, you know, that, that, that was the idea to get Hulk out of there. And they're almost, you know, uh, putting their, their selves on, on the line. All part of Bobby's plan. Like that. Yeah, yeah, all right. part of Bobby's plan, yeah. Right. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it was a way to go to have Andre win this way. But you, you, you could never pin Hulk. You know, that, that, that would have – it just doesn't work. That would have destroyed his run at this time. So, uh, this, yeah, I think it was done to perfection. So Hulk is, is gone now, and the odds are certainly stacked against poor Bam Bam Bigelow who's alone against King Kong Bundy and the one-man gang and Andre the Giant. And they do a really great thing, I think, and they they sort of build up Bam Bam here by having him eliminate Bundy at the 18-minute mark and one-man gang 21 minutes in, uh, both by pinfall. Really, I think, putting the Bam Bam character over really strong here. What a great great night on pay-per-view for him. Hulk is gone. And instead of running like Honky Tonk did earlier when he was alone, Bam Bam goes in and fights, eliminates two guys uh, before ultimately facing a task too tall for basically anyone. Andre the Giant, who at 22 minutes scores the pinfall victory and is the sole survivor. We'll get to the aftermatch 
stuff in a minute. But, uh, John, what did you think of Bam Bam's run and Andre ultimately getting the pin and becoming the first ever main event sole survivor at the Survivor Series? It, yeah, up until uh, up up until when Andre came in and and just you know, totally dismantled poor, poor Bam Bam. He didn't even give him uh, like one shot in. So it, it it really was much. And at the, and at this point, uh, Andre uh, he, he didn't really look too devastating. He you could you could tell he was breaking down that that double underhook would ever finish. It, it really didn't didn't look that that impressive and uh, i hate that finish yeah i would i would like to see it but you know andrew was real limited uh, i would like to see him you know a couple of years ago when when he was able to do you know the, the uh, splash or something but uh, at, at this point he was uh he was limited what he could do and he didn't give uh, bam bam nothing so although it was impressive and gorilla once again you know doing a great job of how valiant uh, bam bam fort uh it, it was kind of uh it was kind of forgotten quickly because you know of course after the match uh hogan has to has to steal the spotlight and oh bam, stop stop with the steal the and spotlight. bam bam like disappears while hogan must pose and you know everything the soul loser hogan oh god jesse oh my god come on come there on here we go you know oh, you're talking oh. to the 24 inch podcast here brother <laughs> I, I'm, I'm ruining uh, any you're being the heel in the future and i'm sorry but <laughs> But Bam totally Bam disagree. Didn't even they didn't even show Bam Bam uh, you know, at all after he, after he got picked. Well, he got demolished by Andre. What are you going to do? Have I mean, him jump around? I, I do see what you're saying, but all the seven year old kids, we we need you know we had to see that you know you, you might you might not want to see it next time the the, the celebration. He was scru- he was crushed by Andre. What was he going to do? <laughs> Would you want him to celebrate getting crushed by Andre? No, he rolled his fat ass out, went back to the back. Um, I want to make another point, um, and I don't know that this was on purpose or not, but in the first match, there was three survivors. Second match, two survivors. Third match, four, two tag teams. So Andre was the only sole survivor that night. Cool. Um, I thought that was kind of cool. Um, and yeah, uh, allegedly, you know, Bruce Pritchard says this was the birth of Hogan must pose uh, and all that. I don't know about that. I don't know what the politics of it was. He posed after all his count-out losses at the Garden. He came down to the ring to avenge being cheated by these guys and to get some shots in on Andre to build the feud. Of course he did. Of course it ended this way. I don't know what other way it could have ended. Dave, what are your thoughts on the ending here? Uh, I just love uh, how how Bam Bam was was fight, fighting from behind like that, and he, he beat uh, how even Jesse says it, how he beat Bundy, how he beat the one man gang is beyond me. But to beat Andre the Giant, nope, they were real. Yeah, they were really grooming Bam Bam for something something really big. I don't think it, they say his attitude wasn't right yet. Yeah, he wasn't. He was still a young run. kid. What was his age here? He was a, uh, I think very young. Let's see, he was 20s, born in six, He was born in sixty one, so twenty six years old. Yeah. Yeah, so he just wasn't and, uh, ready. I don't think. I think they were grooming him for a big turn on Hulk, you know, or, sure. or or Savage or something. I always thought that maybe if he didn't leave in the summer of '88, he would have had the boss man run with Hogan that the boss man got because they kind of like cross paths in the night. Bam Bam left and boss man came in right at the same time. So I, there was there was a heel turn in Bam Bam's future uh, without a doubt. Um, or or I mean maybe even they were he was in consideration for the title when Hogan was making no holds barred. Because they, they really, really were getting the, the battle for Bam Bam. Remember that with the managers on yep. TV and all? Yeah, they, they really, really were pushing him pushing him strong. And then Andre beat him up for real at the Garden uh, in June, and he never saw him again. <laughs> he bags and that was it. <laughs> oh, that Andre 
did not like Van Dam because uh, he didn't he didn't even give him like one punch. Nope. And, and yeah, I was gonna bring that up. That match in in June is is like is mm. like watch. He he barely gave him anything. Uh, but but at that point, Bam Bam was uh, done and and on his way out. But uh, yeah, yeah, you could tell Andre, uh, the boss, that uh, did not take a take a liking to to Bam Bam. Right. But uh, yeah, that's a great book and uh, how how they set up uh, the the future of Hogan Andre. But uh, uh but still, I, I I you didn't see like you didn't see or- Orndorff uh, got cheated and you didn't see he him come back out. Everybody else that lost, they followed the rules, but no. They're not, they're not Hulk Hogan. <laughs> the match was still going on, though. What rule did Hogan break? But the loser of the match must go back to the locker room. He did. Again. The match was over. But how come, so how come Orndorff and, and all the other guys didn't, didn't come They could have. They're pussies, though. They ain't going to go in there and try to fight Andre. <laughs> oh, <laughs> all right because they hate they're, they're a hate hulk deep down it's one of the payday <laughs> and, and, and i love just like at the end of like wrestlemania 2 and wrestlemania 3 jesse got his signature i may have to come out of retirement yeah always, always. Yeah, too good and, he even did it at five when hogan be savage i think yeah, so he did it, there too. It, it, jesse was, was horrific in the ring yeah. Yeah, i still love yeah that's crazy yeah jesse and um hillbilly jim even a guy i like a lot uh just yeah their style styles were very similar in the ring, I just—I I never got why it was so bad. Kick but, um, uh, yeah, not much. It, even your elbow drops. Like I drop a better elbow, elbow than than they did. It's strange. While uh, while Hogan was posing, I noticed that Gorilla mentioned how he would absolutely think the man upstairs. I know I've told this story on podcasts before. You guys have probably heard it, or I've told you personally. But as a kid, I thought there was a man upstairs, like that was <laughs> playing the music for him, or maybe doing the lights. I just thought it was like a crew member. I did never made the connection to God there. Um, <laughs> so Gorilla, <laughs> totally, and I noticed that tonight when I was watching, I heard him say it and just had that memory of when I would hear that as a kid and and, and, and just wonder if we're ever going to meet this this guy who did such a great job playing Hulk song and doing the lights and doing all these things for Hulk that need to be thanked every time. That's right up there with me thinking the Maple Leaf Gardens was the Make Believe Gardens. The Make Believe Gardens. Because it wasn't Madison Square. Because it wasn't Madison Square Garden. Back in I the uh, 50s. That for quite a while. Back in the 50s, John, do you have anything like that? <laughs> in the 40s, uh, yeah. <laughs> he, he, John thought I Love Lucy was actually called I Something Lucy. All right. Oh, no. All right. Listen, in the end, Andre's a sole survivor. And they built more heat for the eventual showdown between Hulk and Andre. Whenever that would be, we obviously will be in the future. Um, and I think they did a great job doing it. Mission accomplished. Good event. Uh, the first ever Survivor Series is in the books. And I think that's it for us, boys. Don't forget to check out Dave and I on the 24-inch podcast. And D'Amato, where are you going to be? That they can find you all over the joint, right? Um, just pretty much uh, right here on the Cronoso Monthly. Uh... Utility guy. Yes. Yeah, utility guy. He's here, there, and everywhere. Hey, what do you think? Can we have Damato on the twenty-four inch podcast? Yeah, he's gonna he's two? gonna definitely do one with us sometime. Yeah, yeah. He Be a nice it. guest. Yeah, when we get sick of talking to each other. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'd love to. I'd love to. It'd right. be our pleasure. All right, that's it. Uh, all I ask is that uh, everyone out there, you say your prayers, uh, you um, take your vitamins, and you tell your friends about the No So Chronology Podcast. Chronoso Monthly, yes. Okay. Brother. All right, everyone. That's it for this episode of Monthly Cronoso. We brought you the 1987 Survivor Series. Thank you to all the contributors. Next month, coming in hot with two Saturday night's main events. Saturday night main event 13. 
from November 1987 and Saturday Night's Main Event 14 from January 1988 as we enter a new year here on Monthly Cronoso. Again, thank you to everyone and catch you on the next one, guys. Later.